what's going on with computers? Because mm-hmm. I hear that Google, Facebook, Amazon, these like couple large providers basically run the internet. Um, what's going on? Uh, well, that's a that's a big question. Um, and interestingly, the the entities that you mentioned are actually just one layer of what we refer to when we talk about computers and the internet, right? Um, those companies, Google at least has an operating system, um, but like Amazon, Facebook, um, they're operating at the application layer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon also obviously is a you know, behemoth <laughs> physical industry from shipping products and all the rest, but insofar as they're involved in uh, networking in, and computing, in cyberspace, yeah. um, they are a hosting provider first and foremost, right? AWS is their real presence in that space. Uh, and AWS is a bunch of servers running around the world in, a, in secure locations that people can rent, um, you know, by the hour, by the week, uh, in order to host their uh, software applications on Amazon servers. So to discuss the computing paradigm, I think is the broadest general term for what we're talking about here, right? Computers are the physical aspect of the computing paradigm. And mm-hmm. then you have the internet, which is the global networking, you know, the broadest term for, you know, the way people network around the world. Um, there are operating systems, there are, you know, different device classes, there is the entire application layer. Um, there's the hosting infrastructure, right? So there's the computing paradigm is mm-hmm. this uh, amalgamation of, you know, people that make hardware components to people that assemble computers to people that make operating systems to people that um, provide hosting infrastructure to people that write applications that run on operating systems. <laughs> and um, it, can get, it can get overwhelming very quickly. Um, which is why I'll take everything I just said and sort of leave it there mm-hmm. and summarize the entire uh, computing paradigm that we have today um, as cloud computing. Um, that is what most people would call the dominant form of computing on Earth. And today. when you say cloud computing, obviously you don't mean in a cloud. For sure. Right, like the, the, the thing I always hear <laughs> is this is like, Cloud computing is just somebody else's computer. Correct. And yes. so in this case, well, it's the... Cloud, cloud computing is the very fluffy, gentle, friendly name that was put on this computing mm. paradigm for marketability. Okay. Um, I don't know how devious that was versus how just marketing. kind of good marketing it Buzzword. was yeah. to get the you know uh, product and computing paradigm launched and, and accepted by the population. But ultimately, when I say cloud computing, um, I'm referring to to all of those components and the way that they interact with one another combined. Mm -hmm. And so cloud computing has a couple defining characteristics, um, the most important of which is the server, is the client-server dichotomy, right? This division of computers into two distinct categories and uh, attributing those two categories to um, segments of the population. 
So just to clarify, so the client would be like my Android phone. Correct. And the server would be the Google Maps that's sending the data to the Android phone to be displayed. Whatever application you happen to be running on your phone is connecting to some server somewhere. And even under that layer, that server, that that piece of software, because server also has two meanings. Server has... The The software meaning, Mm -hmm. which is that this is the server-side program, Mm -hmm. and then there's the server, which is the physical physical hardware that it's running on. And so these apps on your phone are connecting to software servers that are also running on hardware hardware servers that are usually owned by Amazon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, So even if these competing apps are all different servers, ultimately they're all... Mm. still running on physical devices that are owned by an increasingly small number of entities. And I think that was probably part of why I phrased the question in that way is because to me, the, the line between compute, you know, I remember my first computer dial up internet, you know, couldn't use the phone uh, while you're on it. Like to me, there was a, a, a clear distinction between computing in my living room, sort of the things I could do offline, and then the internet connected computer where I'm now running services that are being, um, you know, relayed from from servers, right? Well, today it feels very much like the internet is just computing. And I think it's partly because of this cloud computing paradigm, because like when you download the Android phone, or when you get an Android phone, it's running, you know, a Google, even though Android's open source, it's a Google operating system, and they're, they're, Google Cloud and like all of these services, like essentially, like you get to a point where it feels like hardware is almost unusable, or at least heavily, uh, you know, mitigated in what it can do mm-hmm. without relying on these cloud computing servers to do most of the computation, to do most of the the the, the heavy work, and the clients just sort of like how you connect to that. Well, their their existence is largely obfuscated at this point. Right, like you said, in the in the early days of the internet, you know, America Online, it was very obvious when you were going online. Right. And when you weren't online, you were offline. Right. And it was understood, at least implicitly, that that was inherently private mm-hmm. and, and secure on the device that you were using. Well, those lines have gotten very blurry. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cloud is moving in, right, to the client. The server is... in encroaching upon the clients. Your Can phone you, is increasingly always connected, uh, always syncing. That's why my Samsung TV is sending out 600, uh, yeah, 600 well, pings at 3 in the morning. I, I saw some post on X earlier that somebody was like, why is my washing machine doing 200 gigabytes a month of data or something? <laughs> and they were like, it's blowing up my internet bill and it's a washing machine. Yeah, Clearly, the Custom cycles. I, I hope there's a bug somewhere there, but yeah, because <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. But um, yeah, I mean, so so the end result of this is, you know, I, I had originally said that the, one of the defining characteristics of the cloud computing paradigm is this client-server dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the end game of that is that the clients are strictly remote controls, that there is no compute that or data storage performed on the client at all. And you're seeing this increasingly, right? There was a period of time where client devices like phones we're touting how much storage they had. Where they right. were like, oh, you can get this 32 gig one for about the 200 bucks, and you get the 64 gig one right. for 300 bucks. Now I get the smallest and one. And everyone's like, just get the smallest one. Why would you pay more for more storage? Right. 
because it's no longer on the device. Nothing is on the device. But it's not just the data storage. It's actually the compute now. Right? Mm-hmm. You are truly just seeing graphical interfaces now on your phone. Every button, right, at the at the extreme is a is a remote API. It's calling call. a server. It's an Ajax request that is performing compute on the server. So you, everyone is just walking around with remote controls. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all just using someone else's computer. And in fact, we're all using the same person's computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Daddy has <laughs> problems. There are problems with this model. So two questions that I thought of as you were saying that. First of all, if that's the case, why do Apple, Google, Samsung, uh, you know, all of the major phone manufacturers, why do they continue to sell newer hardware with incremental faster processors or, I mean, it really is just like the camera that seems like the biggest thing that they're... And battery. And the battery, mm-hmm. which is the things that they can still control on, on the client. Well, and the chips matter because lag, latency, any kind okay. of any kind of client-side lag is going to give you a competitive disadvantage. Like, people want to feel like their, their, their finger is, it's a, is a, a powerful time. wand and every button they click gives them instantly what they want. Like there can be no latency, but yeah. when you're making network requests, That's what's happening. it's inherently built in. So then you can get really clever with like caching and, and, you know, background tasks. And it, it's a, it's a complicated game. The, the second thing I was thinking was like, when you mentioned like the computing going on the cloud, I know like Google has been. Um, just being an Android user, like they tout like the new and improved Tensor chip and like the 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 photo, uh, the magic blur and like all of this stuff that they can do. But I, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought that that compute, like that level of like magic blur or whatever, was done on the it client is. on the phone itself. It, is. it yeah. is. But that's a is that is that a new paradigm that we're going in a direction? Is that a completely different thing? Like why uh, is that unusual that Google did it, that? It it wouldn't be feasible given sort of some laws of physics to outsource everything to a remote server, right? So your client device is still going to perform a bunch of computation and the the client side chips matter. You're actually seeing a lot of improvement in the chips. It's more about data, right? The client is not responsible for data. It's going to perform some literal compute, like stuff run on the chip. Mm -hmm. But any kind of analytics... Right, anything that is running compute on data. So if you're seeing charts oh, right. on your phone, like usage Big over data, time, yeah. stuff like that, none of that is coming locally. All mm-hmm. that data and all the processing of that data is being performed on the server. The client device can can do these menial tasks of like prepare the data for the server, right? Mm-hmm. Touch up the picture. Clean it up, yeah. yeah make clean it, look, it up, yeah. ship it to the server, right? It's but, a good. N- but nothing of value is being kept on the client. That's a, the client is just a, it's a remote control and sort of a servant of the server, which is odd because it's, it's supposed to be the other way around. Right, right. The and you're server paying has like the name server for a reason. It's supposed, supposed to, serve to serve the client. The client huh. But it's actually been inverted. <laughs> I've never um, thought of Which it that is way. somewhat representative of our entire political infrastructure and wow. society as well. What a, what a paradigm Public shift. servants are now being served, right? Yeah, um, huh. Huh. The uh, the server, the that whole. Di- I mean, is what what has changed as a result of that change in dynamic, where the server has the power now instead of the 
the client, the server becomes the most important <coughs> well, part. Is like how does how is that affected how we compute and how we use interact with computers? Well, um, it means you own nothing. First of all, better be happy. Too. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I don't think that the cloud computing paradigm came about out of a some sort of evil genius sure. intention. Maybe like, genius. Sure. But not malicious, it sounds like. Not totally. Yeah. There was some understanding, I think, but it was also one of those like, well, someone's going to do it, right? This is just business. It's just the natural progression of this technology. Why so not we're the me? good guys, we yeah. should do it. Right, sure. Yeah. So, you know, it, it. I understand why humanity did what it did over the last 20 to 30 years, right, with through the evolution of computers. Computers mm -hmm. were this mind-blowing you know, huge moment for humanity yeah. and in human history. Um, it changes things, right? The computer, humans are an animal that uses tools. This is our Best, arguably biggest. defining characteristic is that we, you know, we, we obviously are a rational animal. We have reason, but, but we oh, implement that through tools. Like tools are our right. competitive advantage. Without tools, a tiger would rip us apart. With right. tools, right. they're nothing. Right. So the computer is the tool for the brain. Right. So if the brain, the rational mind, is the defining characteristic of a human being, and then a tool for the brain has now been invented, right? It's can like, augment it. Oh, yeah. Way. It's exponential. It's actually a recursive function because the tool improves the brain, the brain improves the tool, the tool, the tool yep, improves yep, the brain, yep. and you end up with AI. Yeah, <laughs> right? here we are. And then now you have the singularity and all the rest. But, but, like, um, but this is a big moment for human history. And it was so big and so kind of fast that we didn't, we just kind of ran head first We didn't think about the implications. It, right? Even if we did, there's no stopping the the energy, the release it's of energy, behemoth. right? It's like trying to contain a bomb. Right. Computers were invented. Deal with it, right? Like it happened. And it was a it was a chaotic race for for spoils of mm -hmm. that invention. And I get why the cloud computing paradigm emerged, because the alternative was a totally distributed computing uh, architecture which would require individuals to be able to administer servers, right? There is inherently, in my opinion, and this can be argued, and I'm down to have that argument with anyone who wants to, um, there is a need for servers and clients. Like that relationship should exist. There will it's always the be efficient. servers and clients. Yes, okay. I, I do not believe in serverless. Serverless is a, is a, you know, a fad term that people say to raise money, but <laughs> servers are not going away. Servers serve a, an extremely important function in the computing paradigm, which right. is that they are always on, always connected, always running. They're running background processes, whereas clients are expected to interface with a user. Mm -hmm. They're expected to have direct user interaction, and they are expected to go offline. They're expected to be unavailable right. at times. And so if you had no servers, there's a chance that I wouldn't be able to reach you if I wanted to message you. If it was offline yeah. at that time, okay. And if it's always online, then it's a server. So right. as long as you define a server appropriately, so which is a computer, a computer that is always, always online yeah. and always connected, yeah. always running background tasks, such that you, the human, with your remote controls can go do things and turn things off but your presence on the, in the digital realm remains, right. then it's a server, which it's, means a phone could be a server. Anything mm. could perform the function of a server. Mm. Certain computers 
are better at performing server functions than other types right. of computers. But any computer, in theory, could be a server. Right. Right. Um, just like any, I mean, just to go to that. Any computer could be a client. And, and uh, <laughs> any human can go eat at a restaurant or any human could go work at a restaurant and be a yes. server. Yes. You can play you either can, role. Yeah, but, correct. But, but server computers that are uh, going to be servers mm -hmm. typically are specially purpose built, whether they're correct. Uh, fault tolerant or yeah. high availability or power efficient. There are certain things or headless with no mm -hmm. monitor. There are certain things that you'll install in a server environment mm -hmm. that you maybe wouldn't do and know, vice versa. A client. And vice versa. Correct. So it's any computer can be a client, any computer can be a server. But once you realize that there are these two fundamental different types of computers, then why not optimize them? Why not create clients that are really good at being clients and servers that right. are really good at being servers? And, and and the goal of the server is to be always online, just to like summarize what you were just saying, the, to be always online and to serve data yeah, servers, when needed to the clients. Servers are responsible for maintaining network connectivity, for receiving any kind of external communications for sending out anything that needs to be sent out mm -hmm. for storing and processing data in in mass like servers are, are designed should have very powerful chips lots of storage lots of ram clients Large don't need all this okay. clients need good chips but very rarely are they going to need a ton of ram right or a ton of storage because that's the server's that's, job servers right. are better at doing that so this is exactly what we have today right, right? The only negative here is that everyone's using the same giant server. Mm. Is You can think of the internet today, and this is an exaggeration, but you can think of the internet today as one giant computer in the middle of the earth. It's like a big honeypot. And every single person's remote control <laughs> is just connecting to it. And an increasingly small number of people have control over that one giant computer. Increasingly small, meaning that like yes. we're getting we're getting closer. It's consolidating. It's going yeah. into that direction. There's further. fewer and fewer. Once you dig past all the shell corporations and LLCs, at the end of the day, there's like a few people controlling most of the, the world's sure. computer infrastructure. And even behind them are government warrants. <laughs> Always and, has been. And, you know, <laughs> eminent domain uh, laws that basically put all of the Earth's government. computing infrastructure in the hands of a few politicians. Oh, that's um, what we want. And so who cares, right? Like, why is this bad? Um, well, in any time of history and any period of conflict, if you were to ask the, the generals and the combatants of that time, whether peacetime or wartime, just what is, what is necessary to be successful, secure, victorious in any battle or any potential battle? And they'll, they'll I think, tell you two things that you, need to, that you really need to think about. Um, I, I'll add a third, but... The first one is military power, right? Which is weapons. Sheer, right. Yeah, just pure Sheer defensive force. and offensive power. Um, number two is comms, right? Information, mm -hmm. the ability to coordinate that power. I would right? say knowledge, information is power, right? Knowledge is power. Sure. I mean, if there's a... Knowledge well, is less power than it ever has been because knowledge is cheap now. Knowledge is abundant. It's the ability to utilize it effectively. Mm -hmm. That is the hard part now. Yeah. Um, but it's still in that same category. It's information, right? It's the ability to access and use 
information. Information is so important. I'm like, as you're saying, I'm thinking like war, information, knowledge, the Byzantine generals problem. Yes. You're literally at war. You have a bunch of generals. You, you have the power, but you don't have the information or communication yeah. to coordinate. This is the whole. It's, about, it's, it's physical, military might, and then it's comms. Comms. What was the third? The third I was going to say is propaganda. It's the ability to Manip- garner support mm. from your team mm. and demoralize the opponent. Yeah. So those are the categories of war. Right, you have your physical might, you have your communications, and then you have your your ability to to. Is there like a where, is there a resource that you learned that from? No, I'm making the, I'm making this up. Okay, right now it seems legit yeah. though. No, I've, I. <laughs> no, yes, I, I've, I'm, I've, I'm not asking. Yes, for I've read to, a lot. I cannot you, cite uh, my sources right now. I'm, I'm not asking. I'm speaking I, off the cuff, but like I said, I added that third category while we were sitting here. So mm-hmm. of course I'm not being thorough and I'm not citing sources, but, but this is my understanding of conflict and of war based on my own reading and study of history. Well, it, the reason I asked that is because it sounds to me like many books have been written on this topic, uh, before, um, just, the, I have never read a, a book on the nature of warfare. I've read a bunch of history, a bunch of biographies, and a bunch of fiction, and that is what I've garnered from those. Well, it seems like they are all deeply connected. I mean, I studied rhetoric. That was my minor in college. Nice. And I was a useless minor, but learned about... Being able to use it is not useless. Exactly. (laughs) And 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 I think they are tied together, because what happens is you you, you spread misinformation Mm -hmm. through rhetoric or manipulation, which then garners the support for physical aggression and the cycle repeats And and you could argue that even, you know, propaganda is a subcategory of comms or something, but again, you can categorize these things on different... But they interplay with with one another. And so what's the problem with everyone communicating through one giant server, right? Got all the information. it, It is now impossible to organize in any meaningful way against an enemy. Right? There is no way for us or anyone they know your playbook to talk to each other and spread truth or lies, whatever is necessary for our you know uh, goal, and coordinate and organize in defense or offense without it being you know in, uh, intermediated. Uh, censored, like how do I know it's you? Right. Um, it's just, it's a really hard problem. You're talking about an age-old problem, but that today is all done through these remote controls that we call clients, phones, laptops. So is it more of an, like an existential threat then to the group and our ability to proliferate as a group than it is like any one individual's data? Like is the bigger problem not that maybe I got photos on, you know, this platform and some other people do, but that the nature of that convenient relationship is really like what it what it conditions you to um to to act like. Like we maybe the communication is the biggest well, Park. so, yeah, I mean, I, I came in from the opposition angle of being like, well, what about a resistance? What about a rebellion? How can that even happen <laughs> if you have no comms right. under your control? Right. It can't. But there's also this other, you know, more, more 
present, current, and pervasive problem, which is that the centralization of communications infrastructure is also a tool of oppression. So not only is mm -hmm. it a tool of oppression, it's a tool that prohibits um, retaliation or rebellion against that oppression, right? So comms can be used, I mean, comms are, information is everything, right? right? So like control over information is arguably more important than physical military power in the modern world, in a postmodern society, because if you don't know where the enemy is, who the enemy is, where the enemy is moving, it nukes don't matter. Right, your force you, is you, ineffective. Yes, you, it, you can have as much advanced uh, firepower as you want, but if you don't know where to point it and when to point it, right. um, it's pretty useless. And we've seen this with the American empire in its recent police operations over the last few decades, mm -hmm. which is where we're basically losing against right. sticks and stones um, because we don't have control over the information in that area, largely because those areas are not plugged into the grid. Right. Right. You go off the grid and it's like, you gotta, you gotta get old fashioned. All this advanced technology doesn't matter. Um, but, you know. Right, well the internet was a, the United Military States invention. government would have a lot better time, easier time, conducting warfare against American citizens than it would against uh, Afghani citizens. Because of the interconnectedness. Because of we're all because they got us. Right. We're all plugged in. Whereas the citizens of Afghanistan are not. It's right. actually a lot harder. Um, Make it we're easy in. For we're in the matrix. Um, and how's your pod? In, in the Matrix, pretty comfy. I don't think about it. Every time. <laughs> I try to. <laughs> no, I feel. I feel. No, I tell you uh, what, it, it is great. pretty comfortable. Yeah, they make it pretty comfortable. Uh, at least historically, things are getting a little right. So you less don't leave. comfortable now. So right? you don't leave. But they can, right? Because what, what the fuck are you going to do about it? And they know what, what makes are you. What you do about They it? know what makes you comfortable because they got data anything. on all that too. Can't do anything. Every once in a while, they open up the streets and people get out there and let some steam off and right. Back to work. Gosh, that was like what 2020 felt like. I was like, everybody was woke steam. up for a few months, and then yeah. I, I read something today that said uh, the NFL had like the highest viewership this year in like a decade. Yeah. People are falling back asleep. You know, they don't care. S sublimation <laughs> works, right? You have an emotion, a lot of energy. You got to get it out somewhere. Go hit yeah. a punching bag. You know. Right. Hmm. Well, that's there are anyway. I mean, is that like? Uh, I guess like is that our one of our biggest risks to using this centralized coordinated is that we uh, like infrastructure is that we it's like a slow steady drip of complacency and it works and it's comfortable and it's nice in the pod and like you'll you don't need to own anything because you'll be happy anyway like you know is that like is that i i, I analogize that to like bitcoin and the etf where it's like yeah, is the ETF going to kill Bitcoin tomorrow? No, but will it usher in a level of complacency that could be an existential risk down the line? Maybe. Uh, do you think it's the same kind of thought process where it's not the what they're doing that's so bad that they're not evil, but yet it's the level of what they're doing incentivizes that could be sort of the Trojan horse, mm. maybe if it's unintended? Yeah, th there's a lot there. Um, you brought up the ETF. <laughs> 
I mean, I, we were yeah. talking about that yeah, earlier today. Yeah, Obviously, sure. everyone was. That happened today in case this is yeah. uh, recorded out of, you know, out of time. It'd be like a week uh, or two. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, let's see what I should grab from that. Um, Basically, is complacency the real, it the always, real threat? It, it always is, right? Like, a, a well-informed, armed populace that cares about... right current events cannot be enslaved, cannot mm -hmm. be conquered. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't matter what the tool sets are, digital or analog. It is the complacency. It is the the lack of uh, information and lack of will to obtain that information because it's out there, right? Again, knowledge is cheap today. Anyone can, <laughs> anyone can pretty much figure out what's going on to some depth um, by just putting in the work, but people don't put in the work. And right. so... It's very easy to look at that and and draw a couple conclusions of well, well we're screwed or or those people don't matter and it's only the people who do do it that matter and um, like the people who put in I, the work. I really don't look at this as a um, to me politics and culture are derivatives. They are not the driving force of history and of the given form of a given society. Technology is. Tec they're derivatives of technology? Yes, correct. So technology is what shapes the path forward, and those are like... Technology sets the incentive structure. Mm. So technology sets the okay. rules of the game, mm -hmm. and then you can basically predict... How it's going to be played based on that. To some degree of accuracy, what culture will arise uh, right. and what political structures will arise from that technology. Um, this hmm. is the essential thesis of sovereign individual, which I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have read, and if you haven't, you should. Um, it, it postulates that technology is the primary, and there are a couple others, but that technology is the, the real primary driving force of human history, and that with each new advancement in technology, uh, politics and culture and political structures um, adapt to that new rule set and incentive mm -hmm. system and then you just get what you get right and so within that there's a lot of wiggle room right you can almost think of it like a boat on a river like you can drive from shore to shore there can be flare-ups right. of, of one you know uh cultural phenomenon and another and but you're it's all going in in the direction, in direction. that technology incentivizes because you cannot change human nature at least not from one generation to the next right. there is many eons of evolution built Hard -coded in. Hard-coded right? in, yeah. You're not going to change our nature. And so when you line up human nature with the rules of the game, you can basically predict how the players will play mm -hmm. because they're going to play to win. Everyone's going to play to win insofar as they understand the rules. And so if technology dictates the sort of societal, like, or... or uh, not dictates, but can sort of predict mm -hmm. the the flow of culture and politics. Would you? I mean, it, it, some argue that technology makes people more complacent, gives them less ability um, to think for themselves. Sort of, you know, fosters this groupthink. But then I'm I'm also as I'm as I'm hearing you say that I'm I'm thinking well, it's it's not so clear because technology also is sort of the 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 sh the, the cutters that breaks the shackles free, mm -hmm. 
only to then maybe be in a new type of shackles in a few years. Uh, Technology is sort of definitionally, at least insofar as this conversation is concerned, leverage on human productivity. Leverage on human what do you, productivity. productivity. With a tool, right? You can almost equate tool and technology here, right? Any tool is a form of technology, right? Like right. A, a hammer sure. is a technology. Right. Um, we use the term a little bit more specifically these days to mean Electronic. digital yeah, things. Yeah, right. But, but the term is more broadly usable to mean, you know, forms of tools, right? Different categories of tools or technologies. And um, th- each of them was invented for a purpose, which is to take a human unit of energy output and multiply it, right? So in the same five minutes, I can do X amount more in any given activity than I could before. And this can be, you can even apply this to like weapons, right? Like I expend this much energy and And look at what happens, right? right? right. Um, That is technology. And the same thing with a computer, right? I go, I, I, I do this, and ChatGPT writes me an essay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, so technology is leverage <clears throat> on your productivity. And depending on what you want to produce, that can be incredibly uh, good and wholesome, or it can be incredibly horrific, depending on what you're trying to do. Technology will just amplify it. Um, and it changes the nature of what you're doing as well, right? So the nature of warfare, for instance, changes with technology. It's not just the amount that you can do in a strictly quantitative way. It changes the quality of the output, uh-huh. right? There's there's categorically different qualities of output. So like so, rewriting the rules. Correct. So these are technological revolutions as opposed to technological evolutions, right? In a technological evolution, you're just getting more and more efficient at one kind of activity. But then something comes along that changes the game and it completely restructures human society Mm -hmm. and then it optimizes in an evolutionary sense. And these are happening at an increasingly frequent rate, these revolutions in technology, because that's the nature of technological Mm -hmm. growth. So we're going to hit the singularity eventually. Well, (laughs) that's still up for debate. To some definition of that, yes. But what that means is entirely up for speculation, like how wanna, society is restructured as a result of general AI. What we're talking about, just to be clear, in the form of a tool, in the most f- basic way, because I know computers are built upon abstraction of, of, on top of abstraction, and I think your bit depth um, presentation talked, mentioned, talked, talked about this a little bit. Just to like level set, we are talking about the ability to adjust voltages. That's all it is, right? Like that's what a computer is. It adjusts voltages really fast. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and if you're getting down to the the the, the, yeah, the, the gates, most, the most, most ba- yeah, at the electrical. But level, that is sure. that is what is actually happening. Sure. But what's crazy is like all of these things that we're talking about are as a result mm-hmm. of our ability to create a tool mm-hmm. that can adjust voltages really small amounts of voltages really fast. Mm-hmm. That like that realization to me and just like how we can get from here to to where we're at from mm-hmm. a societal society political cultural because that's what we're talking about like we're saying yeah. technology 
shapes poli- shapes politics, shapes mm-hmm. culture. Well, look, and that's what that is post the in post the invention of the computer. It's, it's unrecognizable. It's right, right. From what it was before, in ways that nobody could have predicted. It's crazy. You show today's world to somebody from the 1970s, which, by the way, they're still kicking. alive. Yeah, yeah. They would they tell you you're Nuts. a nut job. Yeah. Well, they say that anyway. Like, I you know. know well, kids they had to go through that change, right. which is and they not still, they don't an easy it. thing to do. They still don't well, believe of course, it. could you? I mean, no. I mean, I don't I, believe I half don't, the shit we. I don't blame them for half now. of their mindset. Like it's yeah. tough to change that quickly. Humans are not designed to to do that. We expect to. We expect the world <laughs> to remain to somewhat predictable it's and not constant. At all. And it doesn't happen because our brains ossify. So that, our ability to make fundamental changes to our understanding of reality gets more and more difficult as we get older. I feel like I'm getting there. I'm set. Fuck you. Yeah. I'm changing. I'm done. I mean, I'm it's, it's like something way. you really strive to hold open yeah. for as long as you Bitcoin can. Was the you last can feel big it thing. closing in. You can feel it yeah. like, no, I, I know who I am. I know what I believe. I know what the world is like. And but then you, it changes. And then it changes on you radically in ways that you never could have imagined. Mm. And the... To keep up with that requires an enormous amount of diligence, time, energy expenditure. Like you have to be, and, and there are these people, there are people in their 90s right now who get it. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, how did you do that? You really, you know, you really kept an open mind. Thirst you had for to knowledge, fight for yeah. it. Yeah. And, and it's, so it's possible, <laughs> but it's rare uh, and it's not to be expected, right? I do not believe that the world's problems can be solved through education, culture, you know. Is it technology? Yeah. I think that the world's problems can be influenced positively through those things. Uh And I commend anyone who contributes in those areas. I'm a huge fan of educators. we're talking about structural changes. I'm talking about real long-term effective change. Structural change. The only way to do that is to change the incentives. And the only way to change the incentives really I mean, you can change some political incentives, but again, that's operating at a layer above. Right. The ultimate base layer of the incentive infrastructure is technology. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who just always loved computers and loved technology and like it, that was cool to to sort of figure that out and be like, oh, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to play at that level. I like really want to play at that level. I want to, I want the longest lever possible. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? I want to pull the lever and have it echo as far as I possibly can. And that's just a personal thing. That just gets me excited. That is a, good, a great spot to transition to this next question, which we've been talking about computation, um, individuals, data, their ability to innovate and pretty quickly get left in the dust by... Uh, technological changes, which we've discussed as impacts the world in a profound way that we can't even possibly foresee. foresee. So, I mean, I'm running into this now, Matt, like I'm already feeling like the, like computer, like my technical abilities and my understanding of the architecture of the tools that I'm using are already, and I spend a lot of time on computers and I have, I was just like you when I was a kid, I just grew up with it, not just with it, but really took an interest in it. I mean, that's why we both work in this, you know, in this line of work. And even then I am like, I get on the Linux terminal and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And so I wonder how much of this new paradigm or how much of this 
um, ability to utilize these tools in a way that benefits us is, you know, gatekeeped by technical ability. Mm -hmm. And if it is, is that something that we're also digging a deeper hole into where we're getting less and like more and more obtuse where we like literally no one's going to understand how any of the tools they use work or how That's any of the tools the work. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. when it comes to computers. Cause it's going so fast. And just because it's a lot. I yeah. mean, the, there was a point not too long ago, you know, a century ago, maybe two centuries ago where pretty much everything there was to know you could know by the time you were like 18. Now, not with all, I'm not talking about every little piece of knowledge of history. I'm talking about like the the big stuff. The information of the day that could allow you to be successful in that day. Like yeah. the, humanity has gone vertical in the last 200 years. Population, everything. Yeah. Right? Like the, the, and childhood is still defined by the old standards, just like everything is, right? None of the cultural or political systems have kept up with the rapid development of technology. <laughs> That's a great call out. And so yeah. we still think about childhood as being a like zero to 18 kind of thing, but there's a lot more to learn now. Right. And it's not just knowledge. It's actually different types of learning, right? You're not just, before it was like, you, you mostly had to have knowledge. Like, knowledge was power, right? There was a time where doctors had their um, status because they knew a lot about medicine. It's got the internet now. The internet knows way more than any <laughs> yeah, doctor could ever know. <laughs> and the we'll doctors are just to. using the internet now. Yeah. So what are the doctors doing? It's methodology. Charging me a shit it's, ton. Well, for sure. But it's, it's what is their particular skill set now? It's methodology. So it's, it's can they find the information? It's the ability to search. It's the ability mm. to query. It's the ability to guide. To right? use the tools. To use, right. So it's a different type of education. It's not just who can cram the most information in their head. Like the most valuable doctor 100 years ago would have been like a photographic memory guy who just knew everything there was to know. But the best doctor today Watson is is a sort of I don't know it's AI like, probably massive critical thinker like just right, someone who's right. really really yeah. good with logic and to be honest who's also like, good with people because when you go to the doctor that's half the battle too right. it's it's not just that you want to get cured it's that you want to be understood that you want to you want someone who feels like they're championing for you like it it's yeah. being a doctor is not just it's the knowing, communication it's right. go. But, but that's not how doctors are trained they're still trained to memorize the fucking right. medical textbook right. and stuff and so i don't know where i was going with that but you know the educational systems are not preparing people for the modern world like we're, getting, so, we're all getting like so, left behind. Okay, so but to go back to your original question, which was around, you know, the the will you ever understand how this stuff works and does that matter? No, no. Some people will, but it's a lot to understand. Um, so what does that mean, right? What does that mean for the average person who can't be expected to and will never understand the inner functioning? or nature of the technologies that are critical to their lives. Mm. First of all, we can, and when I say we, I mean each family unto themselves, can choose a better form of education. 
my children will understand this shit because I will make sure that they understand this. Right. Um, however, they still won't understand everything about everything. Okay. So at some point and in some category of your life, you're going to have to trust someone. Now, who you trust should be a highly selective process, right? You shouldn't blindly trust anyone mm -hmm. about anything. But there are people in this world who could tell me something, and I would believe them without verifying what they told me because they've earned that from mm -hmm. me through prior validations. So everyone is going to be an expert in something. It's like hard not to be, right? Like humans tend to have an interest. Really and if they have the, on the couch. ability to do what they want to do, then they're going to get really good at something. And they will understand that thing. And they specialize. And specialization of labor is like a huge part of how society works and mm -hmm. it's really important. And if everyone tried to do everything, nothing would work at all. So it's really important. Specialization is really important. Um, but then what does it mean for all the things that you're not a specialist in? Well, you have to find people in those categories uh, who are specialists, but who have also earned your trust. Mm, and this is community. So you need the knowledge and the trust. V well, the knowledge like You need is to find somebody with both. It's you need to find somebody who knows how to access the knowledge. The knowledge is cheap. Sure. I can access any knowledge of any industry at any time in a matter of seconds. If you know but I don't know what it. I'm searching for. Right. I don't know what questions to ask. But there are people who, in this world who do know what questions to ask. And it's my job to find those people and befriend them. Mm. This is community. Right. This is the point of community. It's the point of friends and right. family and community is this special, the, the, the inherent specialization of, of human nature. We cannot be generalists across the board. Even mm. if you are a generalist, there's still things you don't know. You still have need for someone in your life to trust. And so it should be someone who has earned that trust, someone who you know personally and that has proven to you through multiple uh, experiments or trials that you can trust them. And so when it comes to computers, there's a very small number of people who actually understand how they work right. at every level or at any level, right? And so if you're not one of those people, you need to find one. You need a computer expert in your life. Yeah, you Just need like a, everyone you need needs a, a car guy. mechanic. Everyone needs a car mechanic. That's good advice. And everyone needs a computer expert. If yeah. you don't have a friend you that. who really gets, start nine is that. Mm. That's what start now nine wants trend. to yeah. be. That's, That's awesome. That is our purpose on this earth, is to be your computer expert. Mm -hmm. Yes, we build start OS, which is an operating system that makes using, running your own server easier than ever before. I right? run one. It's true. Yes, we package cool software services that run on that server. All of this shit is free and open source. It right. doesn't in any way, shape, or form belong to us. Like, the, literally, zero. It is non-proprietary in any way. That's where you guys Our are really only doing. role here is yeah. to support the technology that we have unleashed on the world. We release this new technology, and we know that nobody knows what the fuck it is or how it works or why it's important. Right. We're here for you. We are your technical experts, and we are really good at this. Right? And you and have to have that separation, too, because otherwise there's not really any distinction between Start9 and, and the companies that are providing support for their own closed-sourced proprietary products, right? Oh, I mean, we could absolutely have a proprietary license that right. 
says, you know, no, start OS is ours. Sure, it's source available. You can read the source code, but it's ours. Right. We just show it to you so that you know we're not, you know, doing anything malicious. Right. And that's where we were. That okay. was the type of license that oh, we had. Okay. Was, what what type of license was Start9 that? Start9 started out closed source. Literally closed source. The code was not visible. Yeah. We wrote the original Start OS, which was then known as Embassy OS. Yeah. And it was it was closed source and proprietary. Uh-huh. And we sold devices like that. Yeah. We sold devices that with closed source pies, operating right? systems yep. to people. And we knew then that this was going to be a progression from completely closed source and proprietary to then source available with restrictions to source available with less restrictions to completely open source. Okay. We knew in 2020, early 2020 when we first launched this, that that was our progression. And we did that as for a couple of reasons. One, because we wanted to be the, the, the shepherds of this technology. Like it was, wasn't ready for anyone else to even look at, let alone work on. It was so crappy, <laughs> you know, it was just like, it's, it's like even Bitcoin started out with one guy working on it and then it was two guys working on it. And it's like everything starts off in one brain. Hoggy everything sticks, yeah. starts off in a single brain or maybe a small group of people. But eventually, you it opens up. But it doesn't have to. A lot of people keep things for themselves. Yeah. And we were called out on that a lot. The industry doubted us. They were like, "No, no, no. You guys are like, you have a proprietary license, and it's like you're you're not you're not Bitcoin. You're not open source." And we're like, "No, we have a strategy. <laughs> like, why are you trying to take the future and fast forward it to the present? Mm-hmm. Like it's an instant gratification thing. It's like no, some things take time, and this is our strategy. You can debate us on our strategy. You can say, well, that wasn't necessary. You guys could have started out as MIT, and everything would have been fine. Maybe. Right. That's armchair quarterbacking in retrospect. Right. You don't. When know we're that making it. decisions in t- late 2019, this was our strategy, and right. we you don't know what you don't know. Stuck to that strategy, and ultimately made StartOS and everything that is available to run on StartOS completely open source according to the strictest definitions. When when was that final change to fully open source and uh, from source available made? Two, two or three months ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So I installed it when it wasn't then. You installed it when it was source available Tells with probably how. a single, single restriction, which is non-commercialization. That you was the last. Resell it. Yeah. It basically just meant that we're the only ones that are allowed to make money on this. Right. Do anything else you want with it. Just don't sell it. Right. That was the final restriction that we kept. And you got rid of that too? Yeah, we got rid of that too. (laughs) It doesn't belong to us at all. So anyone on earth, anyone listening to this can tomorrow wake up and just call themselves Start 8. Start 8. And (laughs) they might go for 10. Start 10. They want to be bigger. Start 10. And just do what we do. They could just install Start OS put a on devices, different number on it. Sell those devices and yeah. provide support for them and charge for it. There's nothing defensible about what we're doing. So obviously except for I mean, our own the efficacy and reputation. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to match that. Like this is what I had to realize too. This is something that I slowly came to realize over the years, which is that it's not the tech it's not the recipe that matters. It's the cook. Mm. Nobody Great is going to do what we do like yeah. we do. And it's the service Some people support. will try. There will be competing companies mm-hmm. that sell plug-and-play hardware and provide support for StartOS, but we're the originals. We developed it. Nobody understands it better than us. So there's a and trust a, element. It's, it's a reputation. Re- yes. Reputation. Trust based trust. on reputation. Right, right. So 
justified trust, we'll call it, right? Like we've earned it. Right. Anyone who's been in our community knows that we've earned it. Mm -hmm. It is actually pretty crazy what we do. I, I, our, our, the reaction to us is universally like bewilderment. When someone comes into our support channels, whether that's email, Telegram, Matrix, our community forum, Twitter DMs, Twitter public posts, you name it. Whatever it is, yeah. it's like seconds yeah. before they get a thorough response from a human being that makes perfect sense. And they're it's just like, crazy. whoa, how do you guys do that? And I'm like, George is sitting there over, I'm like, over your shoulder. I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and you hire crazy people. Yes. People who are and crazy like, passionate about what they're doing. Yeah. And like everyone shares that here. Yeah. Like we really care. And that's not going away. That's something we believe we can scale. That's actually something that every company fails to scale. And I think we can do it. I was going to say, like, I mean, in my experience, it's always been like software scale super easy. It's the human elements that are tough to scale. Do you, is, is there like, do you mind, like, do you want to elaborate on that a little more? And like, what, how sure. that? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> technology, when you say technology, I think what, what you mean by that, whether you meant, meant to mean it or not, is like some new app. Okay, so let's say somebody writes an app for Android and iOS and mm -hmm. it um, does something cool and it's all about monthly active users and you know how many users you have and how much of their data is valuable for advertisers and mm -hmm. how much monthly subscriptions you can cost. And they write this software and the software is infinitely replicable for free. Right. This is why VCs love that business model. Because they're just like, oh, there's zero production costs, right? Um, and you can provide shitty support. Nobody cares. Basically, if the app is cool and it replicates and you have more users. There's no marginal it's cost. It's just this yeah. bread and butter. It's just this butter industry. Um, and we can talk about that because we're going we're gonna to crush it. Our, our plan is to, is to like wipe a trillion dollars off the market capitalization of the NASDAQ and replace it with basically nothing. Like these companies just shouldn't exist. Right. It's not just that they bloat. should be replaced with better companies, not that they should be smaller. It's that their entire existence on this earth is a fluke. <laughs> it's a fluke. And, or a they're, and they're, of worth, they're worth dozens conditions. of billions of dollars. Yeah. Like their their market capitalizations are massive. Like Slack, let's just pick on Slack it's for a, a chat second. messenger. It shouldn't exist as a company. The software is great. Right. Slack the entity has no business in this world. They add nothing. They're headquartered here, aren't they? They have a I big have office no idea. here. I have no idea. I'm pretty sure they, they have a huge office here. That, the company <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I adds think nothing to the world. thousands of employees. The software developers build the software, and the software has value. But the right. software is infinitely replicable. Information wants to be free. Anyone can run it on their own server if it was open source. What's the point of Slack the company? Sales, Slack the company is channel. literally just a defensive wall protecting the software. The entire purpose of the company is just to put spears up to prevent you from getting to the software. Because it's closed source. It's of course. Yeah. yeah, but but that's the company. SaaS companies, their job is defensive warfare. Right? They basically have built something that is free by nature, and then they defend it artificially. Right. And they're not evil. This is like a this is a natural market selection that came about. So I'm not, this isn't a moral condemnation. This is a practical condemnation. This is a, like, they have no purpose in this world anymore because the only way that they can defend that position, if you think of this as a war, the only way that they can defend that ground 
is if there's no tunnel, is if there's no airfare. They're, mm. they're depending on this sort of feudal style of warfare. And then Start 9 comes in and just completely changes the paradigm. Right. You're it's like, wait a second. Them. People can do what you do from home in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. You can't defend against that. Slack has no defense. They were completely defending, depending on your inability to do that. Mm-hmm. It's the only way SaaS companies can remain in existence is by they, they, they depend on your dependency. They depend on your lack of ability <sighs> to run a server. Sounds like a drug dealer. And so, <laughs> and so all, all that had to happen to completely flip the entire cloud computing paradigm on its head and make it obsolete is to enable people, individuals, families, companies, organizations, to run their own servers. That's it. The whole computing industry changes if people can run their own servers effectively because the whole computing industry is based on SaaS, right? We talked about cloud computing earlier. Cloud computing is the computing paradigm. SaaS, software as a service, is the business model. On top of cloud computing. On top of cloud computing, the paradigm. So SaaS, the business model, goes first. That dies first. Then cloud computing dies. I shouldn't say that. Cloud computing is restructured. Mm-hmm. It's still cloud computing, but instead of everyone connecting to one giant cloud in the middle of the earth, everyone is connecting to their own little mini clouds. You ever see, oh man, I have two little daughters. I can't believe I'm about to do this. I have like two small daughters. Embarrassing. Do you ever see Frozen? Oh yeah. <laughs> Where like Both. Elsa makes Olaf his own little flurry of a mm-hmm. cloud. Mm-hmm. That's that's what that's we it. see. That's yeah, it. That's what you're doing. Everyone gets their own little flurry. You guys, uh, y'all, need, y'all do need a mascot. Maybe a little, maybe I don't think Disney will let red us and use black Olaf. Olaf. <laughs> it looks similar at all. We'll get soon. Uh, proprietary man, mm-hmm. a closed source. There we go again. <laughs> IP is just impractical. It's not. A, I'm against IP, obviously. Um, well, generally let me, let me speaking, ask you then, but like, how, anyway, that's a very how much topic. how much of your as running a as running a company startup, you're you're you know you're balancing you know thriving versus surviving, right? You're you're balancing making the best software possible f- with your team to open making sure it's open and available and uh, to everyone. Uh, you're you're trying to you know sell servers, but also offer it pre built or, or I'm sorry, uh, you sell pre built servers, but you also off you know offer the the code free and you can mm-hmm. install it yourself. So. How much of your time do you spend thinking about like threading that needle uh, between the running a successful business and having some sort of defensibility to the the great things that you've built? Hmm. Um, I guess all of my time. <laughs> Sounds like that is not that is yeah. not being spent literally building Developing, the technology right. mm-hmm. um, or working on some very niche part of the business. But like the, the overarching mindset is this, this tiny, tiny little crack mm-hmm. between those two. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is even early on, I said to my then you know, partners, co-founders, I was like, we found the gap guys like we we found the crack that allows us to simultaneously build a business and personally profit and flourish from our efforts and building something that is 
incredibly powerful and useful Mm -hmm. and good for our great, great grandchildren's. Right. Cause you said Casa like didn't want to be involved in that business line. Like that was like, they had the, I wouldn't, well, they didn't, I don't know if they thought about it. Like I just said, right. Right. Like I, I don't know what the thinking was, but, but they did choose to, uh, Casa was the, was perfectly positioned to be the leader, the like, Mm -hmm. the like leaps and bounds front runner in the personal server revolution, right? The making servers available to individuals, families, and businesses. But that angle of like that thin little crevasse that you found as to run a successful business, but also build a great product, maybe that was something that you uniquely Correct. They weren't weren't positioned to to thread that needle. It was a different team with different skill sets, right? Threading that needle required... um, what we had, which was four people in a room, <laughs> right. ideologically aligned, who could give two fucks about the money, mm-hmm. except for the fact that we really wanted the money. Okay. Now I say that humorously, as in like, of course, right. of course we want to flourish. Live. Of you course gotta... we want to profit. Of right. course, of course we want to succeed financially. But every single person not involved was just like, it's not necessary. Right. We would never do that at the expense of right. the mission. They don't need to be either. And, or. and so it took a dualist mindset of like, let's build a business and let's start a fire. How do you hold those two in tension without one overtaking the other? And the answer is diligence. Mm. It's literal constant checking. It's hiring people like David Croissant. <laughs> Smart dude. Go ask David if he and I always see eye to eye, right? <laughs> I'm going to guess he says no. <laughs> I intentionally, not masochistically, but intentionally keep people who are ideologically driven mm-hmm. around me to hold me in check. Yeah. And this is part of the incentive structure. So I'm an incentives guy, right? It's like... No I believe like all of society operates based off of base technological incentives, but then sure. recursively, every structure within that society, businesses, departments within businesses, huh. whole families, atomic families, they all recursively operate based off of incentive structures. And right. so in every aspect of my life, I try to consciously set up and continually rethink the incentive structures to make sure that everyone can simultaneously pursue what is in their personal selfish best interest such that it also contributes to the overall goal. Right. This Good is why Bitcoin is perfect and unique is because it's the only it system taps into the like that, that does that. Is it, it's, I wouldn't even call it greed. It's just, it's just incentives, rational self-interest. Right. It's like you cannot expect people to sacrifice themselves for others. I know that that is the ideal of moral altruism. But it's not rooted in reality. But it's not real. And the expectation that people will do it is only going to lead to horror because you build systems under the assumption that people will do that and then they don't and then it falls apart and and everyone is left starving. This is what communism is, right? It's this idea that people are altruistic. Right. And will just contribute to the group. Right. It It doesn't work. And so it all collapses. 
you have to lean into human nature. You have to understand what we are. It's beautiful. It's not like, oh crap, we have to, we have to accept the fact that we're self-interested. It's like, yeah. no, we're self-interested. Cheer it. It's what you are. Right. You have no choice. It. Nobody has any choice. It doesn't mean that you don't care about others. It just means that you are self-interested. You just have to understand that, accept it, and cheer it. It's like, yeah, flourish. Do you. Win. Prosper. Just don't hurt anyone while you're doing it. Right. It's not that hard. So when we when we build at start nine, that is the 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 thought process of every new feature. Like really, like openly mm-hmm. <laughs> discussed in the office. I'll be like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna give people the option to like do zero configuration clear net in the 040 release. Okay. So this idea that you're gonna be able to plug in your server and without knowing anything about anything, you're gonna be able to click like two buttons and your server is going to be available on a custom start9.me mm-hmm. subdomain, like mat.start9.me. Right. Your server's going to live there. You didn't have to do anything, nothing, no certificate generation, no router configuration, just zero configuration clear net. And then your Bitcoin node can be at bitcoin.mat.start9.me. No configuration. Just just type it in, done, okay? Can't wait for that. But here's, like, but here's the problem. The, the super long texts of... Here's the, the problem with that. We're now involved. Uh, right. So at the office, how did we approach this? We go, okay, so we, we, we know that people want this. So what is our responsibility here morally? What is our moral responsibility? We need to give the people this, right? This is what the technology affords. It's what people want. The damage that we can do in the extreme is minimal. So we always, we always evaluate the extreme. We always say... If we implement this feature in the technology, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> the FBI comes into our office, gives us gag orders, says, here's what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. What's the worst that can happen? How much damage can we do to people's lives? If is, the answer is... That is the worst case scenario. If the answer scenario. is significant, yeah. yeah, I think that's the worst case scenario. I can't imagine anything worse than being gag ordered by the American government and forced to do things with your technology that you didn't want to do. Yeah, that sounds pretty bad. Or... I mean, there's definitely worse, but as a company, that's sure. the worst. As right. an individual, I can think they of all sorts of right, horrific things. They can't things. torture you. Right. But, but, like, but again, they don't need to. The gag order is enough. You're right. going to comply. It's a because there's a threat of force behind right, it. Right. You don't need to use force if you can threaten it's force. Always on the base and, it's, layer. and it's right. So, so anyway, that, that, we always think about that. We go, what if, what if they do that? Because they're going to do that. I have no doubt whatsoever that if we continue to have success, that like we're going to be bombarded the target, by these people. Yeah. And I want to be able to comply 100% and cause no and damage. Grin. Hey, to we're complying. Of course. No, I, I won't even grin. I'll comply. Right. I'm, I have to. Right. right. I'm not going to let you use force against me. I got a family. I got a whole thing. I'm going right. to comply. I'll do whatever you want. Just, I know that I can't do anything. I'll comply so 100%. You designed Nobody it that can way be hurt by me. Intention. Exactly. Yeah. So we always think about that's the only defense. What strategy. if we get coerced, threatened, bribed, blackmailed, right. et cetera? Yeah. What's the worst that we can do to the people using our technology? And if the answer is horror, we don't do it. Mm-hmm. And if the answer is, well, it might inconvenience them for a day, that's not, then we do That's it. a trade-off you're willing However, to However, here's the thing. In addition to that, in addition to considering what the worst case scenario is and avoiding anything that's too bad, we also build an escape hatch for even the small thing. We call it the escape hatch. Every feature that we build that involves us in any way Meaning, even if we could hurt you for five minutes, mm. <laughs> there's an escape hatch. There's a way for you to accomplish the same exact thing without us. 
So can you give an example of yeah, that? So clear net. Let's mm. use the example I just sure. came up with. Okay. So let's say that you choose to use a start9.me subdomain. Well, what are you giving up? We know a few things. The domain do control. We, right? know, we, we know what services you're running on your server. Mm. Those subdomains, all that DNS is being provided by us. It's dynamic DNS. It's our domain. We're going to be able to know a few things. We might not know your identity. So you'll identity, know if it's sending to Bitcoin. But like, we'll, we'll be able to get some metadata on you. Right. We'll sort of like, we'll know your IP address. We'll know what services you're running on your server. That's not condemning. Right? right. The worst case scenario, FBI agent walks in, they're like, this person of interest, this is our IP address, what services are running we down? But it's like, when is it illegal to run open source software on your own computer? Right. So it's not great. We don't like the fact that we're going to be able to do that, but it's also not going to... It's not damning. You have to draw the line somewhere. So here's what we do. We show a giant warning, first and foremost. Uh You are choosing to use a start nine domain. What does this mean for you? What do we know about you? What can we do with it? What's the worst case scenario? We full disclosure Mm. of what harm can be done to you if we were to be fully compromised Mm. or disappear for that matter. Just go Mm. out of business, right? What can happen to you? Step two, how do you opt out? How do you do exactly the same thing that we are providing for you without us? And if we cannot provide that, like if that ability to opt out is not there, we don't build the feature. Mm-hmm. So we always obsolete ourselves in real time, which again, <laughs> investors and traditional <laughs> SaaS business models are just, like, money, man. <laughs> are just like, wait a second, you are intentionally making yourselves irrelevant. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but people will use us because we do that. <clears throat> and running... People will choose... To use our services, mm. our optional opt-in services. Because of the trust. Because we're showing them the exit at mm. every step and because we're giving them full disclosure at every step and because everything we're doing is out in the open. Well, There's no secrets. Nothing is closed source. That makes me think right back to what you are saying half an hour ago or so about if you don't have a t- computer guy, you need to get one. If you don't have a mechanic, you need to get one yeah. because you need to have that circle of trust because you can't have a proficient core competency in every subject matter on earth. And so what you're looking for and what you're willing to pay for even is that competency and trust. Yep. And so that's what you're essentially creating um, by saying, hey, like, here's the risks. Here's what could go wrong. Uh, and here's how we thought about that already before you ever even click download. And here's how you can tell us to fuck off and go do it yourself. You're building that trust, which yeah. is bringing people to Correct. your ecosystem. And it's and not just something we there. say, they can verify it. Right. Or someone who's extremely competent, right? Their computer <laughs> expert friend can verify it for them right. if they don't have that competency. Do you think that the self-hosting world is getting easier? Because I, I, I feel like even like five years ago, me running a server uh, was, was a challenge. And I'll say like I ran an Umbral first and then I got I got an Optiplex and I installed StartOS on it and I was blown away by how much better it is. Um, but, my, but yeah, like is it getting easier? Is it getting more complicated in some ways and less complicated in some ways or is it just because the hockey stick of everything you need to know is just going up exponentially it's just becoming more and more overwhelming <laughs> it is definitely getting easier it's getting easier yeah and okay. and that might not be at the pace that people want and it's not a straight line as in some things might be getting easier but it's also bringing other things to the surface that people have never thought about Right. So like StartOS, for instance, causes, forces people to realize that things exist that they never knew existed, mm-hmm. like root certificate authorities. 
I didn't know what that was. Nobody does. Now I do. But it's how I got the whole, lock it's the on whole every trust browser. basis of the internet. Yeah, crazy. It's what HTTPS, right? People right. know HTTPS, and they know the little lock in the, the browser. Lock. But they don't realize anything that's happening under the hood. Yeah. And it's all based on these certificate, certificate authorities. authorities. It's basically just... A few companies. Verisign, few, few right? few companies in the world who are just like vouching for everyone. Yeah. I saw and, it verified by GoDaddy and or if, verified And if by you Google. control the DNS and you control the root CA, mm-hmm. you can man in the middle anyone on earth. So that's how these like fake wallet <laughs> things no, come about, right? This is Google. Google can man in the middle anyone. Oh, because they can, <laughs> can direct they you to, both. they're the biggest DNS. And there's a few that have both. I can't rattle them off off the top right. of my head. Oh, but, gosh. But the point is, is that like when you go to a website and it's like, this is a secure encrypted connection, yeah. you could... Absolutely, 100% just be looking at a phishing website set up by the CIA. You're trusting Google to authenticate yep. those two things. That, that, that message you, you that this com- is secure and encrypted is You're Google looking at a website and the, it's telling you, your browser is telling you that this is the website, it's the real website, everything's good to go, and According it's literally just some, some state actor or hacking organization. And that's and again just to and clarify, this can all be done be, via warrants or otherwise. So right? you just like, you just compromise the the man in the middle, the DNS, and then they can send you to India. the internet is a terrifyingly dangerous place. Oh, and and here's the thing: not for not for everyone all the time. Mm. Nobody's a target. Very few of us are persons of interest. Very few of us are being targeted in these in these kinds of ways. The the, the major danger to the average person in the current cloud computing and SaaS model today is dragnet surveillance, right? Mass data collection, Edward Snowden, you know, revelation. Just any kind of data. It doesn't matter what. They just want it all. It's, yeah, it's just like you're not being targeted. The more data, It's just the data, 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 and, and then you're this slice, and there's a profile, because and, 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 they don't and that's, care about and that's filed away. Yeah, you're, you're a number with a threat rating and a, and a history and a profile, but no human being is looking at you. Right. This is all just Machine shoved away learning. for future reference in case you ever become a problem. Okay. Um, so dragnet surveillance. In case you ever become a Of course a problem. not. It's leverage. <gasps> everything you've ever, every button you've ever clicked, everything you've ever said, every picture you've ever taken, everything <sighs> is collected. But nobody cares. And there's a lot of people in this world who kind of get that to a degree, and they're like, well, I don't care. I got nothing to hide. Right. I don't care if everything's being collected. Well, sure, fine. Right now, you but, don't But, everything. like, you don't know what the future, the future holds. Right. You have no idea how this might be used against you in the future. It's you don't know what the future's going to be like. You have no either. insurance. You're, you're just allowing someone to get leverage on you right. in ways that you don't even understand. So that's one. That's one threat. Mm. Number two <laughs> is censorship. Now, this is not a... Th- it's not a threat to most individuals. Like very few people are being censored. Mm-hmm. You have to have a d- decent amount of influence to achieve shadow ban status, right. you know, it's on like social media, yeah. or to be, you know, uh, deplatformed altogether. Mm-hmm. You have to be fairly influential. Um, most people don't actually face direct censorship of their speech, but that's because they have no voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Nobody why can't. why li- Nobody's listening. Yeah. And so, but however, they're, they're affected by the inverse of that mm-hmm. is that what they're consuming, what they're receiving is it's the result of algorithmic censorship and algorithmic amplification <sighs> because it's not deplatforming. People think about censorship as like literal, like black bagging and deplatforming. No. That's not how censorship happens. In the modern world, censorship is in, in very subtle and very insidious. Censorship is algorithmic in mm. nature. So 
messages that are approved are amplified. Right. So more people consume them without realizing they're even being amplified. And things that are disapproved are not censored outright. They're just shadow banned. They're de-amplified. They're, they're suppressed. Mm-hmm. So that the people who already have those beliefs see them. Right. They're playing into that. Like, yeah. So it's like, so it's like, I, yeah, I see this thing. So I'm like, oh, it's not being censored. Good. But you don't realize that nobody else is seeing it. You're only seeing it because you've oh, chosen gosh, to see the it. echo chamber. Right. And so the rest of the world isn't hearing that message. You think they are because it's in your, your timeline, but it's not in anybody else's timeline. So the censorship is real. You just don't see it. It's very insidious because it's algorithmic and it's, and it's based custom. on it's ba- It's customized. And it's going to get more and more and more customized. Yeah. So that's number two. Um, Number three is this, you know, the general invasion of privacy, Mm -hmm. which is like your data is literally being sold to advertisers, which has real consequences on you because like things that you thought were private are now like showing up to you in the form of advertisements on a different platform. And you're like, whoa, that conversation I had with Alexa was literally being listened to and it's kind of spooky and it really brings the whole thing home. Um, and so, yeah, you have this dragnet surveillance, you have censorship, you have this invasion of privacy, this sort of degrading, undignified, like lack of adult privacy that humans, I think, have a right to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one, arguably the most relevant in any given day that very few people think about, which is the vulnerability of the data honeypots. So if I'm using somebody else's server to store all my DMs, right, with my friends and family, like I'm using WhatsApp or Telegram iMessage, or Telegram, you name it, I'm using their servers <laughs> to message, that server gets compromised. Nobody was attacking me. Nobody, these hackers didn't know I exist. They, they don't care the about though. me. Right, well, that data can be used against you. Like it's not just dragnet surveillance where it's being shoved in a file and the chances of it being used against you are super slim. This is like, you know, this is um, extortion uh, where some hacker group gets all your private messages and they're like, ooh, this guy's talking with somebody he shouldn't be. Somebody his wife wouldn't like him talking to. Uh. Let's get some Bitcoin. Right, like you are... Like things that you think are private that are going through a third party wow. cloud. Like everyone's got secrets. That's something that that is really like I've never even. I shouldn't. Went I shouldn't that say that. Thought process. That's amazing. A lot of people have secrets, right? Even if they're not these like earth shattering, like my life things is that ruined. Things could embarrass them. But even though. yeah, exactly. And you'll just, play on just, the emotional just like aspect. I sent my wife a nude. Okay, it's like right. You don't want that online. Yeah, it has nothing to do with like something I'm hiding from someone in my life. It's just private information. Right. And it's like, suddenly I get an email that's like, hey, want, bro. Want this on Twitter? Check out the attachment on this email. Yeah. This want- is going everywhere unless you send me a Bitcoin tomorrow. Right. This is ransom. And so when Jeez. you store your data on someone else's server, you were never the target, but you are now potentially a victim of this type of attack. You might become collateral damage, even yeah, if and you I, weren't I'm, I'm prepared to, <coughs> to argue that this is incredibly likely, that this is not some sort of like fringe-like mm-hmm. thing. It's like if you have ever put anything on a third-party server that might be embarrassing or, or damaging Jeez, to you, yeah. expect that it may someday be used against you. 
because that information is never going to be deleted, which right. means if that server is ever hacked 20 years from now, God. it can be used against you. Right. And that is why, that is the number one reason, that, again, most people don't think about that you should get off of third-party servers, just remove your data. Because when you put it on your own server, nobody's going to attack it. Nobody's going to hack it. Because they weren't attacking you in the first place. Yeah, you're not worth the <laughs> right. attack. It's, not worth it's the incredibly effort. risky to attack somebody, right. to hack someone. Right. You're risking imprisonment, right. right? You're you're committing crimes. You're It's the same as robbing somebody's house. And in this case, you probably would have to rob their house to get their server data because mm. the servers are protected by the same cybersecurity that right. ordinary servers are protected by, by these cloud servers, right? Encryption is encryption. Right. It's not that those servers are more protected than yours. It's that those servers are more physically protected right. than yours. They're in vaults in a bunker with armed guards at the right, door, whereas right. yours is sitting in your living room. Abandoned But here's house, the thing yeah, is, is sitting, right. nobody knows it's in your living room. Right. Nobody whereas knows know you have that. they know where the that. Amazon AWS yeah. databases. Or even if they don't, they know the person who knows. It's about social engineering. What I'm saying is that nobody knows you're running your own server, right. let alone where you keep it, let alone willing to risk physical break-in. To access it. So the defense model is... They don't even know what you have is, on it. It's is like, be avoiding becoming collateral damage because you're not the target in the first place. So the way that you protect yourself is by... Opting out. Opting leaving. out, holding your own data. And when the big dogs get attacked, you aren't... You're not affected by that. It's like, like today's ETF. I was talking to a customer and I was like... Somehow my Bitcoin and private in self-custody are completely unaffected by today's announcement. They might yeah. be worth more. They might be less. worth more what in yeah. dollars, which is also irrelevant, right? So, uh, so, so yeah, it's, um, I, I like to use a physical analogy. Imagine a city under siege, right? Imagine you're living in a city and the enemy invades and they're bombing right. the city walls. And there's this like <laughs> neat little tunnel that you can just leave and go to, go to paradise with your family and have your own farm and live. But you're like, no, I'm staying in the city. Right. When they're not attacking you, correct? Particularly, and sure, maybe you. They just want the city. The analogy doesn't fully hold up because you might feel some obligation to stay in the city and repel the enemy. Yeah. But that's, that's not the case here. Right, You're not right, defending right. your own city. This right. is. I don't have. A this is your data on someone else's server. You don't care about their right. server. Yeah. It's like just leave. Yeah. Just get out of there. There's no reason for you to be here. And the thing is, is that people are in like forty of these cities. <laughs> they're all being all attacked every day. Oh my gosh! Just get out of all of them. Can you give some examples as to like things that are practical that people could self-host today? I mean, I, I know that what we're talking about is an, a bit of an idealism in that like we're not just going to go from using cloud computing everywhere to self-hosting everything mm -hmm. tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, but for someone who maybe is interested in the subject matter or wants to start taking actionable steps... Uh, aside from just, you know, installing StartOS, I mean, I think like more specifically, like what services, what packages, what sort of um, applications and use cases are like the most readily obvious and apparent that you should be self-hosting? Yeah, great. Like great. pictures is the first thing I think of. Great but. question. Um, so the broadest answer to that question, and you're asking about today, so mm -hmm. I'll start with not that and I'll get to it in just a second. The broadest answer is that Absolutely everything <laughs> that can be done on the centralized, third-party-based, trust-based, custodial model of computing can yeah. also be done in the edge computing, self-hosting paradigm. There's no limit to that. Even social media, 
can be done in a decentralized manner mm -hmm. per things like federated networks like the right. Fediverse and Mastodon Noster to and things like Noster. Right. Okay. They're not as popular, but that's the nature of social media. You only want to be Network where everyone effects. is, and right. correct. So, but it will take eventually. It's just not the first use. It's not the first and best use case of a mm -hmm. of a personal server. But basically, anything that can be done in the pre current cloud model can be done in the self hosting model. Today, what are the best ones? The easiest ones? The ones that we recommend? Um, so, first and foremost, what we do not recommend is what most people do when they come into my world: is they want to do it all. They go, "I'm ready." I'm ready to opt out of 40 cities that are under All siege. All yeah, yeah. It's like I'm taking control of my files and my pictures and my money and my right. passwords and my messages. And I'm like, hold on there. You Slow your roll, buddy. <laughs> this is a hero's journey. Mm -hmm. This is a process. I don't self-host everything. Right. I've been building a, arguably the front-running self-hosting company in the world for four years, and I don't self-host everything. Right. There you go. I'm like kind of ashamed to admit that, but I'm also very uh, understanding of my, my own um, life and needs and, and Limitations, readiness yeah. for things, and, and it is what it is. You, you gradually protect your life. This is not an emergency. You do not need to right. get out. That isn't how things happen. Yes, there are acute situations, moments in time that are more dangerous than others, but largely speaking, People tend to think about history happening in these like acute events. Mm -hmm. Like it's gonna collapse tomorrow, and that's like right. a, a singular event that takes place in five right. minutes. It's like, like, oh, it wasn't collapsed, and now it's collapsed. Right. That isn't how things collapse. That isn't how history and large scale human infrastructure right. works. Long drawn these out. things are almost imperceptible in real time. Right, like you can see things, and certain people are more perceptive than others, but mostly it's like. It's it is already collapsed. It, it's collapsing. We're in free fall. It's like <laughs> the whole fucking thing is falling. They say um, this is the collapse. You, you underestimate <laughs> like, what can happen in a or you overestimate what can happen in a year yeah. and underestimate what can happen in a decade. And that's because mm -hmm. of that. We don't we don't see the inch by inch, right. day by day. It's only in retrospect mm -hmm. that you realize you live through a revolution. Mm, right. Really. I Which mean, we're there, doing there are these now. moments when like. It's like the Declaration of Independence was signed. That's like a moment where everyone in that room knew that something had happened. But they weren't sure what yet. Sure, but also the rest of the world had no idea that this was happening. Like even people in the colonies right. were like, huh. people were rabble rousing and doing things. And it's like, it, it's like that was just one little event that took place. Right. And it's only in retrospect, a few hundred years later, we look back and we see it as this huge historical milestone. Mm -hmm. There were lots of things that got signed all the time, everywhere, right. all around the world. And it's like, which ones hold up? Which ones withstand the test of time is only knowable in retrospect. So this is the revolution. This is the collapse. This is the transformation. This is the singularity. Mm -hmm. We're in it. We're spiraling right down into the fucking thing right now. <laughs> and it, and, but but the, the saving grace of that statement is that it's not... An acute event. It is we don't a, need it's a, a panic. drawn out. Yeah, there's no panic necessary here. You just need to prepare for a, acute events, right? Mm. Yes, there may be they moments come. in time that are like, yes, you should be prepared to act on a 10 minutes notice or whatever. Yeah. But in all likelihood, those things are not going to happen to you. And you have time. You don't have infinite time. You should start today. This is partly why we're called Start Nine, right? And it's Start OS. 
and all of our language is around start. Right. It's so like, where does somebody start? Like, get wh- started. Right? Just just start. Just start. <laughs> you don't need to finish. Where do I start, you don't, man? You just get started uh, on your on your you know independence journey, on your digital independence journey. And so the the number one place that we recommend to start is with Vault Warden. I knew you were going to say password manager because I was just thinking, I was like, password if, if you don't self-host your passwords, everything else is not... Correct. Covered. Passwords are your keys. Right. Right? So the number <laughs> one thing that you should... Self-host your passwords. ...take control of immediately is your passwords. Do you consider a uh, password notebook self-hosting your passwords? Yes. <laughs> I thought it's you might not, say that. <laughs> it's just not technologically efficient. And it's not on someone else's computer. <laughs> just like I consider gold a hard asset, mm. good money, right? It's pretty soft if you get 24 carats. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not the modern thing. <laughs> it's like I get, you know what I mean? Like it's analog. It's right. the analog equivalent of a, a notebook is the analog equivalent of a modern password manager. So, so use a password manager. What uh, after the password manager? Let's say you've already. I mean, already I say done. Bitcoin node, obviously. Bitcoin node. Yeah. yeah where, where does something like a practical cloud? It's not as practical as a password manager, but it's like it's a cool. It it's a cool, cool checkpoint. You know, it's like mission accomplished. Yeah. Like bucket, Especially if you're into list. Bitcoin. And, yeah, of course, and that, well, it can help you get into Bitcoin. Running a right. node has this this sort of. Um, it luring unfolds. effect, it like oh, like what is happening? What uh-huh. is this box sinking? And now you get interested. So yeah, running a node is um, again. If you just click start on a Bitcoin node and you never look at it, never use it, it's not serving a purpose right. for you or the network. If you're not some people think that that is it. happening, right? Mm-hmm. They think that running a Bitcoin node just sitting on their shelf and never using it is like benefiting the network. It's not. It's not. Um, it's doing nothing for you or the network. But if you run a Bitcoin node and you use that Bitcoin node, you are benefiting yourself and the network. It's funny how that works. You mm. can't benefit yourself without benefiting the network. You can't benefit the network without benefiting mm. yourself. That's, that's why Bitcoin works. Incentives in that's Bitcoin, that's right. how incentives should always be. That's how a societal incentive should be. It's good for you and well. the group. That's a viral incentive structure. Correct. That's why it's hard to stop. It's right. because the incentives align. Right. But um, yeah, so password management, I say, is number one. And, and honestly, I think people should just sit with that for a week or two. Right, or a month or two, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just spin up a password manager. Vault Warden, you said. Yeah. That's yeah, available on Start of Us, isn't oh, it? Yeah, yeah. And and happily, it's like one of the easiest things to build out there. To like um to use practically oh, right, on a right. daily basis. Right? right. Like Vault Warden. So you feel the impact of your yes. taking self Yeah, It's not like just your, running a Bitcoin node in the background. You don't and really it's not it. this like huge intensive thing like Nextcloud. It's like Vault Warden right. is like this perfect middle ground of it's only going to take you one day mm-hmm. to set it up fully. One dedicated day to understand it, to set it up, to implement it for you and your entire family. One day. And then every day thereafter, you are going to feel that sovereignty. Mm -hmm. You're going to go to sleep every night just being like, wow, like I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And it's like robust, meaning even if the server crashes or burns, it's like my passwords aren't gone. Like I'm, I've got control. I'm protected against disaster. Nobody can interfere. All my logins are secure. It's a really nice sleep tight feeling. Mm -hmm. And that is the perfect gateway drug to the rest of self-hosting. And there's an incentive to do it because, I mean, you saw like LastPass. Last pa- last oh, yeah. It's yeah. like they weren't coming after your passwords. They didn't care about your passwords. But everybody's passwords, well, we might as well grab them while we're here, you know? That's right. So 
Start Nine's services that you all package, um, they're a wide range, right? Like I know there's a lot of Bitcoin services, uh, and and actually, I would like for you to explain what like how, how you view services because I know that's probably a word that people aren't super uh, familiar with hearing. Um, what other sort of things aside from the Bitcoin ecosystem are you all working on from a services perspective, and then you know looking six months to a year or two out how do you see that either you know deepening like are you guys going further into the non-bitcoin services world or you or, or what is the what's the plans yeah um so start nine's approach to the service ecosystem so first of all it's defined service um service is a server-side app Okay, so app okay. is the word that most people are familiar with. Yeah, so these are programs. Program is the broadest word. Okay. Okay. So they're all programs. Yeah, they're programs. These are. This is a program running on the server. Binary code that like does stuff on a computer. Okay, it's a program. Because it's running in the background. It's like right. a and so service. We, right. We call them services mm-hmm. to make it clear to the user that these are programs designed to run on a server. Mm. Could they run on a client? Sure. sure, but that client would then be a server. That's why, like the and next can client cloud. apps run on a server. Well, then that would be functioning as a client. client. So again, computers are computers. Whether they are a server or a client depends on what they're doing. It depends right. on their purpose. Right. So we have divided computers into these two categories, and so we've also divided programs into these two categories. Being like services are things that you run on a server, <laughs> and apps are things that you run on a client. On a client. Okay. Now, a lot of the industry disagrees with us. Like some pseudo-competitors, you had mentioned Umbral earlier, calls Mm -hmm. them apps. And they call them apps because that is the word people know and they lean into that. I think it's ultimately a disservice because these are conceptually different. And by calling them the same name, what you're doing is you're you're blurring the understanding of these systems for people. Mm -hmm. People need to understand the difference between these things if they're going to use them effectively. So we're here to educate as well as provide technology, and I think calling them different names is well. I think important. that's a total like a difference in in, in a company approach. Um, yeah, they, there's very few warning signs on, on the Umbral software. Uh, I mean, I haven't used it in a while, but um, comparatively, like there's a lot of. I feel like from a from a, a very noob perspective they start os and umbral and casa os and a bunch of these like self-hosted package oss from a high level they're all aiming to accomplish the same thing yes but where i really ideologically it, right where i've noticed such a difference is when you start drilling down into the uh into the details mm-hmm. like umbral just freezes sometimes or um start nine's got like a change log when i this is something very simple. When I update a package or a service, like on the start night, it shows me the change log of like what changed. I don't think yeah. Umbral does that. No. It's so, some very simple. Well, so you're leading with transparency. You're leading with education, and that's how you're building that trust. Umbral's almost, and, and this is not like a, a dig at them or, or whatever, but it's just a difference in business approach where they're they're almost like we don't want to overwhelm you. We don't want to. We want you to know the bare minimum mm-hmm. almost, so that. There's no like logical barriers for you to to get started. Yeah, the, right. Right. There's a there's a fundamentally different um, philosophy and strategy philosophy, right. at work here mm-hmm. when it comes to product development and business mm-hmm. growth. Um, we believe that what we are building 
is a fundamentally new product category, right? You cannot one-to-one map an existing product and category onto something new. You can borrow, and we do borrow, right? Start OS, in many ways, feels like a traditional web application or operating system, right? So we've borrowed a lot of the discoveries and innovations of the last 20 to 30 years. You know, we view SaaS, all these SaaS companies, as our R&D department, (laughs) right? Like they put in the work, they spent all the money, they figured out how humans think, they figured out where the buttons should be, what colors they be, what shape they should be. So we're borrowing a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But we're applying it to a totally different product category, right? Running a server is nothing like running a client. And so when you try to make a server <coughs> feel like a client, everyone's going to be attracted to it because they're not. it's going to be intimidating at because all. Because it's familiar. Yeah, there's going to be like, oh, this is exactly what I've done before, except it does all this cool new stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's an inherent limitation on that design, on that user experience, because mm-hmm. it's not a client. Right. You're mapping a client experience onto a server. You're sort of painting broad brush strokes where people may... You're obfuscating things. You're hiding things. You're lying about things. Things won't work. It's just not going to map, right? It's like, it's like, is there, are there conceptual overlaps with a car and a plane? Yeah. yeah. Like, get you from one place to another. The design elements should be similar. Like, you should... It's both a human... Yeah. Using it. So it's like, how do humans think? Okay, it needs a dashboard. It needs buttons over here. They need to be able to reach the buttons. If the buttons are too far, it's not going to work. But it's like, you can't put wings on a car. It's not going to drive down the road very well. And you can't forget wings on a plane. It's not going to fly very well. You can skip the doors, though, apparently. Or Ultimately, <laughs> what? <laughs> you saw this the freaking uh, airplane that had the whole side of the plane blow off the Boeing? No. The whole door just flew no. off in mid-flight. No, I didn't. See anyway, that happened this week. But, but, but right, there's there's some common denominators that you should borrow from and use. But ultimately, it's a different product, it's mm-hmm. a different thing, and it needs to be assessed from first principles. And that's what we did. We designed a server product from first principles, which nobody had ever done. This is a new product category. Start Nine is pioneering a new industry. I don't know if industry is the right word. A new product aspect of the computing is, industry, yeah, right? Product category. kind of computer, like the, like the phone. When right. Apple came out with the smartphone. I don't know if that's going to work. Had they mapped <laughs> the traditional desktop experience to the smartphone, it wouldn't have worked. Right, right. They great, borrowed great some point. things, but the phone was a new product category. Mm-hmm. And the server is a new product category. Servers have always been around. But home servers, servers that are usable by normal people is a new product category. Mm -hmm. And so we assessed it from first principles. We didn't just make it a client. We didn't just steal everything. We said, okay, what does a server need to do? Mm -hmm. How is it different from a client? And so what we did was we we took the the conservative approach, we'll say, and we, we did everything that it needs, right? And we found that it was too complicated for people to use. So then you start abstracting. Mm-hmm. Then you start shaving. Then you start optimizing. Mm-hmm. You start from first principles, and then you you gradually make it accessible to everyone. Right? Mm-hmm. Email went from two people in the world knew how to use it to everyone uses it with a swipe of their finger, but it took 20 years. Mm-hmm. We do not expect servers to be usable by everyone overnight. Mm-hmm. Umbral did. They said, no, we're just going to completely map one-to-one the thing that exists 
onto a server and make it perfectly usable by everyone overnight. Mm. And we're like, that's a lie. That's mm. irresponsible. People are going to try to use this that. thing and it's not going to work. <laughs> right. It's gonna crash. The plane isn't gonna fly with no wings. The door's gonna blow off. Yeah, you, <laughs> you like you can't do what you're doing. You have to design it from first principles. Yeah. Borrow the fuck out of the previous thing. Use the design elements. Use mm -hmm. the thing. Mm -hmm. But you have to design this thing as its first. own product category. Right. And so what we did was we took the very sustainable, workable approach. We started, and it was little difficult to use. Number got some market share on us. Who cares? The market's like five people. You guys have grown significantly. The market's five people. There's nobody using this shit. It's One tiny. Person. Yeah. It's a tiny market. So market share means nothing. <laughs> the whole point is the coming market. Right. During the next Building and the, the next. Future. Yeah. It's, so, so our process over the last four years is to take something that was basically unusable and gradually make it better and better yeah. and better. And what's coming this year, we're very excited about. Can you can you tease at all? What, what can you thought? What can you? The biggest challenge uh, of running a server. Um, I don't even know if I want to call it the biggest, but the most difficult one to solve it might not be the biggest problem, mm. but it's the hardest problem to solve mm -hmm. is network reliability. <laughs> Servers only work if they serve their primary function, which is to be twenty four seven three sixty five. Reachable. Right, if you go to use the services, Correct. servers offline. Servers are well only usable insofar as they are online and working properly. Right. Otherwise, they're... They're, they're not serving. Yeah, they're, they're just a bad server. And so much of that has to do with network interfaces. Stuff that has nothing to do with the server. Mm. The router, the ISP, mm -hmm. the... Mm -hmm. Like, it's the connections between the devices the bridges, that matter. Yeah. And these are things are all over the place. I have Comcast and I have my own router and I use a firewall. It's like you guys building the internet server, an ISP. No, ISP is the final boss. Oh, it's okay. not for a few years, and that that'll be circumvented Start through, net. through mesh networking. Mm, okay. Ultimately, we build a new like new the like the Amazon physical uh, infrastructure. But that's like a decade away. Okay. Um, the the next step is to shore up the networking connections, the network reliability. Okay. Um, and so this year, last year was the year of networking for Start9. It's where we put in all the, the labor, all the proof of work to, to build the new stuff. It didn't launch in 2023. Mm -hmm. 2023 was the, was the sweat. No, the building equity. year, yeah. 2024 is when we go live with this stuff. Okay, And very it cool. is very exciting. Like you're going to be able to, like I said earlier, with no knowledge of how anything works, basically click a button. Start.me. And have your have your server and its services up and running on clearnet domains with no thought. You can then put in a little bit of work mm -hmm. and do it on your own domain. Mm -hmm. You can then put in a little bit more work and like do advanced VPN stuff. And, yeah. and so it's like we have these tiers of like how, how sovereign do you want to yeah. be? Yeah, sure. Because if you're okay with being sovereign AF, kind of sovereign, it's a button. Right. And here's the worst thing that can happen to you. Mm, if if you want to be a little bit more sovereign, 
Yeah. You have to push three buttons, and here's the worst that can happen. It's three to you. times as many. And if you want to be completely sovereign, oh my God, you're going to have to put in a day of work. Oh God, eight buttons. And we're very excited. About Nine that buttons. Because we think that that is the the right way to approach this. Yeah. It's Let this the people like, make their own Yes, choice. it's this like energy expenditure to reward this mm-hmm. this cost benefit mm-hmm. analysis that everyone can run for themselves. That is inherent in the problem itself. This is not something we like artificially have created. It's yeah. inherent in the problem. It's like you. You can't be 100% sovereign with no work. It's yeah. literally an oxymoron. Does the operating system allow you to install like custom like packages? Like for example, so I have yeah. I have a um, Proxmox server running, uh-huh. uh, and then inside of that I've got a StartOS VM. Great. And the reason I did that is because there were some services, namely Calibri Web, mm-hmm. like the PDF library. Mm-hmm. I got thousands of books, uh, PDFs, and I don't want to carry them all with me and use the storage on my phone, as we were talking about, and we'll get the smallest size. So I phone home and read the PDFs from my home server wherever I am in the world. And I used to use a VPN to do that. Um, So the reason I did that is because it doesn't have all the services. So ideally, um, because I really like how uh, StartOS uh, manages like the the dash the dashboard yeah, the, the, the US buttons. Of a a, it gives me confidence. Like for example, my Calibri Web Docker container, I haven't updated it in six months because I have no fucking clue how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there could be some major that's vulnerabilities. The thing, that's the thing about right? servers; they have to be maintained over time. And and it's like getting <laughs> it up and running is just like step four because there's it's a like lot of other kind stuff. of step two. Yeah, yeah, and like getting like it up and running is keeping it up and running, easy. maintaining it updating the package over time. That's right. Uh, and so anyway, my question is like, uh, is there, are we going to get to a point where um, I can, you know, decide because you guys ch- choose which packages are in the start nine repository, right? The community, but there's a community repository. R- registry, we call or it. Or right, yes. registry. Yeah. And is there, you know, could we get to a point where I can just like pick and choose which services or just someone going to have to kind of curate that list well, or, or whether <laughs> it's you or somebody else? So, so today... There is no such thing as installing a program, whether a service or an app, mm-hmm. daemon, whatever, onto your computer. Is that what they're called? If that... Demons? Mm-hmm. I thought it was daemon. I did too at first. It's actual demon? Anyway, okay. Uh, I mean, you can call it a daemon. Some people do. Some people choose to, to because call it they a don't like calling it a demon because oh. of the word. But oh. like, I think the most predominant... It's demon. Pronunciation is demon. All right, yeah. not, not to sidetrack you. There's uh, a book called Demon. It's really cool. And it's about the computer demons? Yeah. It's about a, a computer demon. Super genius computer engineer game developer dies, and on his death, it triggers like a dead man switch that triggers oh. this globally distributed decentralized demon that's reacting to news events. No way. And is like murdering people. What? And just like, yeah. And like, this is called demon? Taking over banks. Yeah, it's called demon. All right, it's super I'm cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Like it's, sounds pretty it's awesome. Cool. That sounds it's like cool. a little over the top. <laughs> yeah, it's like a sci fi movie. But it's really intelligent and super geeky for, mm. any, for software engineers yeah. and, and people who are into tech. And yeah, and it's called demon. And then the next one is called Freedom TM which deals with the aftermath of like once the demon is basically like conquered earth mm. and everyone's under its control. It's like, we want you to be free, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, anyway, gosh, it's a, a deep it's, story. It's big. It's, it's sort of epic in, in scope. Um, 
it comes across as kind of like superficially just like uh, Hollywood kind of, but right. no, it's, it's, it's deep, it's intelligent, it's um, political in nature, it gets into political mm-hmm. ideology and it's really cool. Of course, it's technology. Daniel Suarez. Uh, the author. author. Yeah. Demon and Freedom TM are the two books. And so whether it's... Uh, oh yeah. So, sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to so, sidetrack so regardless you. of what kind of program you're running... Right. Whether it's um, a demon or not. It must be packaged in a way that the operating system you're running on can consume it. Okay. There's no such thing as running something on Mac without downloading the Mac binary. There's no such thing as running something on Linux without downloading the the Linux right, binary. The dot right. Like, dev or, exactly. So like, so. Or dot exe on Windows. There is or, this tendency from our users to want to like run something on Start OS that has not been packaged for Start OS. And I'm like, no, you you can't do that. So it needs to be specifically <laughs> packaged for Start OS. Yeah. Are there things that are unique about Start OS that requires it to be that way yeah. instead of just putting it on? Yeah, is it like absolutely. Debian under the hood, or well, it's based on Debian, but it's but its, its own custom. animal. Okay, oh, so yeah. you can't so just throw any Debian program. Mac on. in some ways is based on Linux, but it's fucking Mac. Right, it's, it's completely this, different operating system. Right, Start right. OS is a different operating system. It's not like these other pseudo operating systems like Casa or Umbral or mm-hmm. Mino, these mm-hmm. are these are all just Ubuntu and they themselves are an app. Right. Like a like Docker, Umbr- Umbral Docker is an, Umbral is an app. That's why I couldn't install Umbral on a VM in Proxmox. I needed Correct. to install Debian and then go and install the, Umbral on Umbral top of it. Umbral's an app. Yep. Yeah. It's a Whereas Debian with, app. With Start OS, I just, this, that, that's the whole computer. It is the OS. Yes, correct. correct. Start OS is a legitimate operating so system. So they call it Umbral OS, but it's a misnomer in that, in correct. that capacity. So many people use OS on yeah. their products these days. And I'm like, it it's really an app with a right. dashboard. Stop calling it an OS. Right. Like that has a legitimate meaning. Mm. It's it's like false advertising, right? And, and I'm not even like... Right, because OS I'm is not even like kernel and it's like... Commu- yeah, I'm not I'm not sitting here being like you're, you're like misleading people and that's hurting our business. I'm like, you're it's literally just, causing confusion. It's just like confusing. You, you're causing the, the, the entire ecosystem to be confused. Right. Um, you know, it'd be like if I sold a hamburger and called it a hot dog. Can you imagine if McDonald's called their hot dogs hamburgers, how much, or their hamburgers, hot dogs, how much, how would it just start saying like, be so stupid. No, that's, it's always been a hot dog. I can't believe nobody's done that. Why has no fast food chain just called their, trolled the fuck out of the human species (laughs) and just called their hamburgers. I I did see something like that similar where this guy bought a bunch of, uh, (laughs) he bought a bunch of New York strip steaks and they had labeled it as like chicken thigh. Yeah. And so he thought he was getting a good deal. And I looked at the price. I was like, they just put chicken thigh on the title. It's still 12 99 a pound. That ain't chicken thighs. I just imagine the chaos that would rain from someone going through a drive-thru and being like, I'd like a hot dog. You guys know what, uh, what to do on April, April fools. You got a a little, little renaming scheme. Just called an app. Yeah. Call start OS an app and really brain fuck everyone. (laughs) No, I, anyway, we're being stupid, but like, you know, um, yeah, it's an OS. Call it an app. It's an operating system. And as an operating system, it can consume binaries that are packaged for it. Now, Mm -hmm. in many cases, especially with Linux, offering a, a program for Ubuntu versus offering it for Debian Trivial might be difference. a negligible right. difference. In fact, they might even be able to consume the same package format in some cases. Yeah. StartOS does not. Right. Well, StartOS is sufficiently different mm-hmm. from these other OSs, right? And by necessity, it's not like, oh, we want to be different. That's the worst thing you can do as a, as a 
you know, uh, growing product or company is to, is to cause people unnecessary hassle mm -hmm. and gatekeeping. We didn't do it because we wanted to be different. It was out of necessity. To yeah, because it does things that those things can't do. In order for, like, what StartOS does is completely unprecedented in the history of computing, right? What StartOS does is it takes all the Linux sysadmin command line requirements and activities that would be necessary to run a service. Turns into a button. Program <laughs> on a Linux server. Yeah. And it turns it into forms and, and buttons and mm -hmm. very, easy. very so relatable easy. So easy. That isn't magic. It does that because the service was packaged to accommodate the StartOS APIs, mm -hmm. the StartOS functionality. In that capacity. That then presents yeah. it to the user. Okay. StartOS is the middleman. Specifically designed. Yeah, that Star way. StartOS is the middleman. StartOS is like, a, okay, I'm talking to the hardware to make sure that the hardware is happy. I'm talking to the user to make sure that the user knows how to administer right. things. Right. And I'm no guarantees the they're happy. So the operating system is sitting between three parties. Mm. It's sitting between the service or program that's running. It's sitting between between the service, the hardware, the hardware itself, and right. the user, mm -hmm. and the outside world. Mm, the the network, correct? The greater so it's network, correct? The yeah, the internet, right? The the greater network, the WAN. So you have StartOS as the middleman of all of this. It's what's sitting. It's what facilitates all these interactions. Mm -hmm. So you have some service that just doesn't want to play ball. It's like the user is expecting this button to exist, sir. <laughs> you need to tell me, you need to tell me what that button does. Map it to something, Correct. right? And so packaging a service for StartOS starts with the upstream binary. Mm -hmm. That's the beginning point. It's like, okay, here's the service as it would be installed on Debian. Mm. We have to modify it's, it. We, we called it a wrapper originally. We still call it a wrapper colloquially, <laughs> right? It's a wrapper. You take the binary and you wrap it with data, metadata, and, and functions mm -hmm. that accommodate the needs of StartOS. The interface and all this. Okay. You, I think I'm understanding. The service tells StartOS about the service mm -hmm. so that StartOS can then tell the user about the service in a friendly way. Okay. It's a translator. Mm -hmm. But if the service doesn't tell StartOS about itself, then, then StartOS it can't know what to trans translate, to. Not translate that to the user. And this is unique to StartOS Start and Start9. Okay. All the other things we're talking about, again, are just the upstream services just running on bare metal. So their function, these other yeah. pseudo OSs and products, the problem that they are solving, like the actual problem they solve in the world, the function that they serve, their purpose, yeah. is to get somebody up and running as quickly and seamlessly as possible mm -hmm. on a server. It's like, okay, you weren't running NextCloud on a personal server, now you are. That's it. But as we said, this is not a correct. That overnight. is not a hard problem to solve. Right. That's a trivial fucking problem to solve. The hard problem to solve about self-hosting is the perpetual administration mm. of the service and the server. Right. Getting spun up is nothing. Right. I could go to someone's house and whip out their mini PC and run a bunch of command lines and be like, "All right, your server's up and running," and then leave. That person's like. Now what? They're never going to do anything I with can't it ever use again. That it's thing. stuck in that state. One little thing goes wrong and I'm <coughs> right. screwed, right? right. Like right. 
That's we have designed a sustainable system that mm-hmm. enables a normal person to administer a server. That's completely unprecedented in the history of computing. That is um, such a great like one-liner. I think I'll use that for like a clip. Because, what did I say? Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember. Uh, well, good thing it's recorded. Uh, yeah. you're, you said that basically you're allowing for a user um, to be able to manage and to be ongoing. A, to, you're allowing an everyday Joe like me who is interested in computers who likes computers but doesn't know the ins and outs of becoming a sysadmin to actually administer my system. Yeah. Uh, whereas, just as a very obvious example, they're both running on the same machine. I've got a Proxmox server running StartOS, and then in a container mm-hmm. is Calibre. My StartOS packages, all up to date. Everything's working fine. Calibre is sitting there in the state that I installed it on, and it You're always like, will. I it. can't yeah. touch it because yeah. every time I do anything with it, I break it. Yeah. I can't connect to the port anymore. And this I have is no what, idea. This where is what start. people don't understand about servers. So it's the They're extremely it. hard to maintain. It's the maintain. It's very easy to get them spun up and in, install something because the readme the for these things is like run this command, run this command, click that button, and you're like, oh, and my God, great. I did and it. You feel breaks. so competent. Right. But then it's like what three months later, you have no idea what to do anymore. And this is right? why people are scared to self-host because they're like, I don't want to put all my stuff on the self-hosting right. and then I can't, and like something breaks and then all shit's gone. Yeah. So we're solving a fundamentally hard problem. Mm-hmm. We're doing it from first principles. We're doing it responsibly, sustainably, um, and that is unique. Mm-hmm. There's nobody doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're doing it in a very principled way, open source, non-proprietary, yep. belongs to the world. Mm. We're just here to help. We are its benefactors, its shepherds, right? We're its supporters, but it's really important that it doesn't belong to us mm. because if it did, it could never achieve its full potential because there would always be a corporate interest that we would be fiduciary obli- fiduciarily right. obligated to given people the information Chips. to make their own decisions which is i think we were talking about that in sort of the beginning is like how much of this barrier to self-hosting is that their technical ability their knowledge by leading people to simplify the the decisions that they're making like you can host it with us here's the pros and cons Mm-hmm. You can do it like that, but a little more advanced, or you can, you know, go way down the sovereign rabbit hole and do right. it like this. You're giving people the information because they're not going to know it all to make the decision that fits best for them because right. there is not a single what solution I, for everyone. What's important about that whole thing, though, is that even the worst case scenario in our model is like the best case right. scenario in the prior right. model. Right. So the there's, a, there's a qualitative step function <laughs> mm-hmm. improvement in the model itself so now we're like, okay, you can do it the non-sovereign way, but the non-sovereign way is still like 99.9% sovereign compared to the current way. Right. So even if you choose the non-sovereign way, it's like the worst possible thing that can happen to you is that you can't reach your stuff for three hours. Right, which could be happening any time if server, if the government or yeah. entity so, doesn't want to let you use it. So it, it's, it's, a, um, <laughs> it's not an evolutionary thing. It is a revolutionary thing. It is a new way of thinking mm-hmm. about how humans and computers interact at a fundamental level. And because of that, the implications of it are far-reaching. So this is something we haven't talked about yet, and I'll touch on briefly here, and if you want to dig in, we can. But um, what do people use computers for, right? We're talking about redefining the human-computer relationship to exclude third parties, to put mm. 
normal people in charge of their servers and then connect to those servers from around the world. Well, what are they going to do at that point? Well, it's very easy to imagine things like messaging or password management or you know uh, file storage and photo sharing and running a Bitcoin node. That's all what I would refer to as as like software use mm. cases. But software use cases of computers is actually a very small segment of how humans are going to use computers in the coming decades. Right? There's two, two other very important, fundamentally different categories that will overlap but are different and should be talked about separately, ways that humans are going to use computers. One of them is artificial intelligence, mm. which, yes, is software, but it's so fundamentally different type of software that needs such fundamentally different hardware that it needs to be talked about differently from like messaging and data. Okay. Artificial intelligence uses a different type of computer different computing needs and is used for different purposes than a dumb file, file server. And so the revolution in AI over the last two years Crazy. is really mind-blowing, uh, raises a lot of existential questions and challenges. Um, mm -hmm. And our view, as is the view of many others actually, is widely supported view, um, is that this cannot be a, uh, in the hands of like three people. That it is very, very important that individuals, families, businesses have the ability their own AI to models. train and yeah. use their own AI models for Gosh. their own private purposes, that it is extremely dangerous to hand total control oh, yeah. over this stuff. And the, the saving grace of that statement is that it's basically impossible for this to become completely centralized, right? It's too easy. Mm -hmm. to do yourself. Like, it's too easy. These things are open. The models are out right. there. The cat's the out of the bag. Them. Like, yeah, yeah it, it, you're, it, this isn't going to happen. There's no moat. These these companies, Google and them, they, they, OpenAI, they don't have a defensible moat. Um, they kind of know it. I think they're doing a, a money grab and trying yeah, to get as much of, out of the, the hype bed, as yeah. they can and then retire on the beach. I don't think they, I think they understand that they don't have a defensible business model. However, there is no clear way in which people are going to do this on their own. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are hacking different things together and they're all kind of based on the SaaS model still. There's just like a proliferation of them. Mm. And we're like, no, 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 we're going to be the dark horse here. And we're going to take the extremist stance and be like, no, these things are going to run At your locally. House. They're going to, we're talking about edge computing here. Right. Is that right? not the computational, like the hardware constraints? Is that not going to become a... Um, Absolutely it will be. Yeah. And we're behind the curve. We, the world, mm -hmm. right? Like there is no, does not exist. I shouldn't have sold that ETH mining cheap, graphics card. <laughs> cheap AI acceleration edge computing hardware. It just doesn't exist. Mm. You want to do AI training from your home? Give me $10,000. Sure. Yeah, that's what it's going to cost you. There's nothing affordable. There's nothing that a normal average person is Because you got to rent all the graphics cards. It's and graphic. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's all GPUs. Yeah. Super expensive NVIDIA GPUs. So, no wonder they're the third most valuable stock in the world. Yeah. So that's going to change. You think so? Not the NVIDIA thing. I don't, yeah, I don't speculate the, on that. But but like what's happening right now is pretty, the, pretty the, awesome. The over, arrangement. Over the coming years, there compute. is going to emerge yeah. new types of consumer hardware that are capable of doing pretty pretty substantial AI yeah. operations and accelerations. Um, 
And we're keeping a very close eye on that, talking to multiple companies who are innovating in these areas to make sure that when those consumer hardware components are available, we are selling servers with them installed mm-hmm, sure. so that people who use Start OS and rely on Start 9 for our expertise and support can then Right. run their own private AI models. Now, we already offer this on startups. Right. Free GPT. Stable Diffusion and Free GPT are yeah. already available, but they're super slow. They're yeah. kind of dumb. Yeah. You're going to use MidJourney and ChatGPT, let's face it. You're going to go to them even though you have these things because yeah. they're just better. They're this faster. Is but that gap that's gap is change. closing. We're going to close that gap very quickly over the next few years. Yeah. Um, and then the second way that humans use computers that is extremely important is devices, mm-hmm. smart devices. The types of devices are going to... Cameras and... Fitness bracelets, health right. bracelets that track your Sensors everywhere. heart rate. And, you know, I mean, like the world, <laughs> we, we tend to be all proud as a species looking around the world and be like, wow, we have things that like are connected. It's nothing compared to what's coming. <laughs> everything. Everything, everything will, everything will have wired. an IP Everything address. is wired up. Yeah. The future is a completely connected physical world where your body might have 30 computers in it. Oh, geez. This is good. This is good? It's amazing as long as it's your, your computers and your data. Mm, I think that's a great... Who doesn't want... Great point to re Yeah, that's, that's the... It's, see, everyone's afraid of this future because, because of the model. It's being built the on the cloud computing model. Under the cloud computing model, this the connected world terrifying. is horrifying. Yeah. It's the worst possible timeline in the future. Under a self-hosted world, though, that's under a, a sovereign computing model. Yeah, wow. The connected world is like the 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 freedom Utopia. of the human species. Yeah. It's like what we've always wanted. It's computers serving our every <laughs> needs. It's computers keeping us alive, right. keeping us healthy, monitoring everything, drawing correlations, and you know, so it, it's incredible. And and what and this yeah. is happening. Yeah. The like super smart connected world is happening. It's like the number one thing on the minds of all the board members at Google, on Apple. Maybe AI has taken some mind share in the recent years. Yeah. But like IoT mm-hmm. is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I got my, my router is like, I just think back, like I got like 30 or 40 devices connected to my router. And like yeah. 10 years ago, there were a few. Yeah. A well, few. it's it's gonna it's going to go exponential at some so there's point. There's hundreds. Here. I'm going to run out of, I'm going to have more than 250 and to be 55. honest, part of what's holding it back is the cloud computing model because there's no way to cost effectively from a business standpoint mm-hmm. launch an IoT device without building out the subscription model and the and there's a limit to what people can take, right? Yeah. People cannot pay 50 different monthly subscriptions for 50 different devices and manage 50 different dashboards. Sure. The consolidation hasn't happened yet. Right. But it's coming. That's it's coming. what Google is going for. They're right. trying to bring your entire doing life into a single Google. Apple's trying to do the same yeah. thing. And, right. Yep. And so, again, we're going to be the dark horse here that comes in and is like, no, no, no. People are going to build their own mm. little micro ecosystems. They're going to cool. have tons of devices that are all synced together on private networks with the data being collected, analyzed, and stored on private servers that, that nobody even knows about. Right. And making that happen, making that statement into reality is a, is a like legitimate hard problem. Mm-hmm. That's like a, that's not something you just cook up on a, on a slide deck. That's right. like serious, you know, effort in every line of business from procurement and, you know, um, material sourcing to design, the to software thing, right? engineering, to marketing. It's like this huge endeavor we're talking about. Right. 
But if we or some combination of us and, us and others can pull it off, um, we think it just affords a future that is um, worthy of our, our children and grandchildren. And, and on top of it, it's just way more economically efficient. Mm. It just cuts out all the middlemen. Like it just literally is a better economic model of computing because it doesn't involve middlemen. Right. Cutting out middlemen is the essence of economic efficiency. So do you think, and well, I, I've got to, I got to go to the bathroom. So we're gonna wrap up here. Um, yeah. Two questions. Do you think that all like our whole conversation considered, obviously there are, if we look at any specific point in a, with a, with a microscope, we're going to, we can focus on the bad the, or the, 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 the parts of the trend that are getting worse, the reliance and the convenience and complacency of, you know, using custodial services and whether it's Bitcoin or your personal data, you're storing all your shit on Google drive. Is that getting better? I know we talked about like, it's getting easier to self host. Mm -hmm. Is the, do you see like the overall trend improving? Uh, and, or is it more dire than ever that we have like sat, rally the sirens, like you need to self-host, you need to start now. The, the latter. Yeah. It's getting yeah. worse. Well, luckily, happily, um, there, the, the, the niche subculture that values computing independence, digital independence, self-hosting, um, is growing, mm -hmm. but the people who don't are doubling down, like they're falling faster mm. and deeper into the the, the net mm -hmm. than ever. So there's 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 this widening gap between the two people. Do you see this with Bitcoin and fiat as well? Yeah. There's the Bitcoiners, mm. and that's growing, but the people who aren't Bitcoiners are doubling down on fiat. <laughs> right. It's like this like last ditch effort to like, like no, my, my no matter favorite. what, I'm going down with the ship type of thing. So Bitcoiners like too. Um, and so I think that 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 carries over to the broader computing paradigm as well. Is yeah. that People sense that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. They might even intuit more specifically what is wrong, but they have no idea what to do. They feel hopeless to do anything about it. Um, and in part, that's because they're not aware of solutions like, mm. like Star 9. So our job is to um, get better at marketing. Uh, it would certainly help if some or multiple really despicable politicians would take notice of us. Oh, like get you in the crosshairs? Cause talk would, shit about that us. That would be great for your yeah. publicity. Yeah. Like I'm really wanting that. Yeah. It's been the, the, it's the best PR <laughs> best we could strategy. possibly It's free get. too. And it's like, I keep saying openly, I'm like, this technology is like super dangerous. <laughs> like, like people can use these computers to evade law enforcement. They can like, like you know, they can come write a new story about post 3D models for oh, gun printing, and oh it's like, God. and it's like we're just like easily making it available to everyone. It's totally legal. Yeah. It's totally moral. It's a computer running software. You could run the same sh same shit on a, on a Mac, right? right. Right. The difference between Mac OS and Start OS is that Start OS is optimized for server-side software, but right. ultimately the way that that plays out, right, the essence of that is benign. It's like, oh, you're making an operating system for a server. That's nothing. It's completely legal, totally benign. 
but the incentive structure it, it yeah. creates, how what you can do with it, mm-hmm. has real like Much implications, implications, and and it's only a matter of time before the wrong slash right people take, take notice it. of this, yeah. and and in a way come after us. And I'm like, on the one hand, I don't want that because I kind of want to be left alone. I'm a peaceful person. But on the other hand, I'm like, I know it's the only way this is ever going to take off. Yeah is if the people that everyone hates hate us. Mm-hmm. Well, so it, I'm just like, why haven't they, yeah, you know, what do I, gotta coming. Do? What do, I gotta do? The haters are coming, <laughs> don't you Don't you worry. I want more haters, um, um, the right haters. Though. My, this, uh, this whole kind of conversation I've been thinking, kind of like summarize, sum it up with a, one of my favorite lines is that you can, you know, we're talking about in the very beginning, like technology is a tool, right? hammer is a tool, right? You can use a hammer. Build a house. You build a house, build a village, you break a hand, mm-hmm. and destroy your fingers, and just aim it wrong. Mm-hmm. So it really is about just as important on how we use the technology, um, how we use those tools, right, as it is that they exist. And if... Politicians getting start OS in the crosshairs mm-hmm. is what creates more awareness that they exist. Look, I don't know that that's not so bad. Historically and present day, there are technologists who always feel morally exempt from the technology they design. They say technology has no opinion. A hammer is a hammer. It can be used to build a house or it can be used to smash a hand. Right. It's not true in a sense. Yes, it can be. But you know when you're building it what people are going to use it for. Mm, yeah. You know because you know what the world needs. You're not just a technologist. You're a businessman. There's somebody funding you. And you know what they, who they, what their target what market is. With that product. Right? So it's like I'm going to design a hammer, right? But I'm going to black out the fact that I know everyone's going to use it to smash fingers. You're morally culpable, Right? However, if you're designing a hammer and you know that it's being marketed towards and will be predominantly used for building houses, but you recognize the possibility that somebody will use it to smash fingers, you're morally culpable if you don't design it. Because it's about the... You can't control people. The do dominant it. use case, correct. Right. You cannot control people misusing the product. <laughs> and it's you're like, not telling how them is to this do thing, it that way. Yeah, it's like, how is this thing intended to be used and how is it being marketed? Mm-hmm. Matters. Mm. Even if it can be misused in other ways, right? It's right. What, what is needed. What is the actual demand of the marketplace? Right? Do people need Intention. hammers to smash hands or do the people need hammers no, to build houses? Smash hands Most people many need other hammers things. to build houses, correct. Right. So start OS is being built for, marketed towards, and the market demand for it yeah. is for entirely peaceful, defensive, righteous purposes. Right. The fact that some people will misuse it is not my fucking problem. It's, There's nothing yep. I can do to stop that. And not inventing the technology because I recognize that some That'd people will misuse it is incredibly irresponsible. Yeah. Because there is an there is a important and growing market demand for the ability to take control of digital one's digital life. And so I'm catering to that market demand. If someone misuses it, fuck off. You can't can't control. But I would love for the wrong people to react to that potential use case loudly because it (laughs) will illuminate the positive use case and put us on the radar. So if any of you are listening, go ahead and talk shit. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, where, where, uh, where, where can uh, listeners find out uh, more about Start9 and what would you say is a, a good step if they want to really dig into the product or learn more about what you do? Um, the obvious one is Start9.com. Um, from there, you can find our community channels. We are active, very active. Mm-hmm. I'm basically reachable in a moment's notice. Unreasonable support. <laughs> I'm unreasonably available for yes. what I actually do, um, as is everyone on the team. Yeah. So we're easy to, to we're easy to find, we're easy to communicate with. Um, and my ultimate message here is if this resonates with you, if you understand somewhat the nature of the problem and the nature of the solution, start. Just start. Just start. You don't need to do it all. You don't need to finish. You don't need to understand every drop. Just take that first step, reach out to us, let us help you step by step, and we will get you slowly at your own pace to a point where you are impervious to all the crap that's about to happen, (laughs) is already happening and was going Mm -hmm. to continue to happen uh, over the next decade. Uh, So start now before it's too late. That's it. Well said. Start. Nine. And start listening to the next episode after you hit that subscribe button. Matt, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on, man. It's been a, Thanks for it's been a pleasure. And I, we talked about a lot of this at BitDevs. It's another two hours of this conversation. I feel like it's 24 hours more we could, we could go. Yeah, it's, uh, and a we'll year do it from, again. We'll do it again sometime. Right. A year from now, things will be different. A year from now, things will be super different. And uh, I'm excited to see the... Uh, the, the hard work that you all have put in last year start to come to come to fruition. Yeah, big things come in this year. Thanks. Absolutely. Okay.